Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntris here. Real fun conversation today with Matthew Clark. I've been a big fan of Matthews for years, whether it was Felon, his uh, Top Cow miniseries with Greg Rucka that has a hell of a backstory that we get into in this conversation, his work on The Outsiders, his great work with Rucka on Adventures of Superman, among my favorite story arcs that Matthew has done. And, uh, you know, it's, it's great to talk to him. Uh, it's a guy that, he's a guy that I've met on the convention trail, and we kind of hit it off right away because we both love Star Trek, particularly DS9. And uh, sorry, but uh, the good news is, if, you, if you're sick of me talking about Star Trek Discovery, it happens in the second hour, and you get a nice, juicy comic book conversation with Matthew, who uh, really gives some very interesting stories, uh, some personal ones, uh, involving, uh, you know, just his journey as a freelance comic book uh, creator. And it's not, you know, a smooth, steady, you know, rise above and everything. It's, you know, it has its peaks and valleys. And he uh, gets very candid about those. And then we talk about Star Trek Discovery. He liked it. I didn't. So I figured out, oh, let's, let's see if he, you know, am I nuts? It's that kind of conversation. I didn't like this stuff. Am I nuts? And then he countered with his uh, things that he liked. So it was an interesting conversation with Matthew Clark. I'm happy to share it with you on today's Word Balloon. Brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your continued support. Genuinely appreciated as I seep into convention season. C2E2 is upon us and uh, just a couple of weeks away. And, uh, you know, beyond that, uh, I got to see how things uh, kind of shake out as far as uh, other summer conventions. Even San Diego, kind of 50 50 right now for me. Boo hoo, I know, sorry. But, uh, well, I'd like to get out there. And honestly, uh, the League of Word Balloon listeners uh, really helps out uh, subscribing to Word Balloon. It's not necessary. Word Balloon's free, it'll always be free. But if you like what I do here, and uh, the great conversations that I'm able to have with these guests and give you the kind of programming that I think we all look forward to at conventions. But why should it only happen a couple months a year if you're lucky enough to go to more than one convention? Why not try and get it all the time? That's what I try to provide here at Word Balloon. And I thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners, through your support via Patreon. If you're interested in subscribing to Word Balloon, go to wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad or go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. And I'm very happy to uh, present some great Matthew Clark works that are available at InStock Trades. For instance, the Doom Patrol Brotherhood trade paperback. Keith Giffen doing the writing, Matthew Clark, Ron Randall uh, among the artists. But uh, we uh, get into uh, Matthew's work with Keith in our conversation. Experience that work for yourself. It's 42% off, $10.43. He also has done a lot of uh, work with Valiant on Harbinger, or Harbinger. How do you say it? Josh Dysart doing the writing, and uh, Matthew doing the uh, art. Uh, we've got Volume 1 and Volume 2 available, and uh, both are uh, at great value. Uh, volume 1, you can get uh, 55% off, $4.49. You can get Volume 2, Renegades, for that same 55% off, $6.74. 
You can also reach back for some great work that uh, Matthew did on The Outsiders. The Outsiders uh, Checkmate crossover is available. Check out. And it's Judd Winnick, Greg Rucka, Joe Bennett, Matthew Clark, Eddie Barrows among the artists. 50% off, $7.49. Or you can get Secret Six, The Darkest Hours. And this is uh, Gail uh, Simone and Keith Giffen doing the writing. It also uh, collects, uh, it's a crossover with The Secret Six and The Doom Patrol. Uh, but uh, you get um, Jim Califori, Matthew Clark, Ron Randall, and others on the art chores. 42% off, $9.85. Just some of the great stuff you can get with Matthew Clark's name on it from InStockTrades.com. Check out the great books and great prices at InStockTrades.com. All right, let's do it. Matthew Clark, real fun conversation, good guy. And uh, put up with my uh, Star Trek nonsense. But again, second hour. Uh, don't worry. If you can't make it. Enough, John. We get it. You didn't like it. I'm sorry you didn't like it. What do you want me just to do? You know, get Gene Roddenberry on a Ouija board and write a better ending? Hopefully. Regardless, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with me and Matthew Clark on Word Balloon. Matthew Clark, welcome to Word Balloon. I was about to say welcome back, but I forget. <laughs> we, uh, You know, I, I, I sometimes blur the convention world and... Uh, the podcast world, and uh, yes. I forget sometimes. But yes, welcome for the first time to the Word Balloon Podcast. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Uh, wow. Hey, man, I appreciate the fact that we've gotten to know each other in the last uh, couple years uh, at Tony Moore's Cincy Comic Con is the first time we met, and uh, one of the things we bonded over, of course, was Star Trek. Mm, DS Nine, <laughs> massive fan of DS Nine as yeah. well. So we're going to get into our, our Star Trek conversation, but uh, first I do want to uh, talk comics with you, and this this is your first time, so I've never gotten the uh, the comic book origin of Matthew Clark, so let's start at the beginning. When, when did you break through comics? I uh, broke in, I think it was 94, 95, Comics Greatest World, uh, the Dark Horse superhero line. I did an issue of Agents of Law that crossed over with the uh, 20th Century Fox's Predators. Cool. Um a friend of mine was the editor. The series was coming to an end. The regular artist had left. Uh, and dealing with a crossover, they're like, she's like, hey, what? here, try this. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I got the job done. And it was fun. But, the, you know, um, it was a couple of years later that I got my next job, um, which was Wonder Woman. So, Okay, and so went, was that when the Rucka-Matthew Clark collaboration began? Um, kind of. Uh, I was hired by Maureen McTeague at DC back in 99 uh, to do a four-page story in like the, one of their like DCU annuals. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was written by Mark Millar, and it was a DEO story. Uh, what, you know, basically this schlub gets a disc that has the uh, DEO's version of basically a kill list. You know, it's like, if these heroes go rogue, here's how we take them out. Okay. Um, and at the end, he basically, you're kind of led to believe that he's going to turn it over to Perry White. Um, cause you show, we show a shot of like the daily planet, but behind the daily planet is Lex Corp and he's actually handing the disc to Lex Luthor. Oh, cool. Good twist. Yeah. Uh, but because of that, Maureen liked my work. And then I think a couple months later, she got the Wonder Woman editor gig and I came in to help out on the, the monthly, just like 10 page back, you know helping out on 10 pages on one issue, then I did a fill-in, and then I got a call from her offering me the regular job. So it kind of sprung from that. Okay. Uh, And and um, was Greg Greg the writer back then? No, that was Eric Luke. Oh, okay. 
Eric was going to be leaving, and Maureen had talked to a couple writers, and they were settling on Greg. Um, at this point, I hadn't met Greg, um, even though we lived in the same town. I didn't meet Greg until uh, I did a show in Seattle, and his wife, Jen, uh, was a guest there, and he was there just, you know, support. And then he comes over, and he's like, hi, I need to introduce myself. And there was a whole thing of, uh, of an apology and whatnot, and... Um, and because I knew that we, me and Greg were going to be working together, I was going to take a couple issues off and then start with Greg's run. Okay. Uh, but then there was the, the, oh God, I think it was, what was it, like a year and a half delay. Uh, because uh, when we were, they were going to do the shakeup, Eric was leaving. Uh, there was going to be two issue fill in. I can't remember who did the fill in, and then we were going to start. Um, and it was a week, uh, was it a Memorial Day weekend? Or there was a holiday weekend, and on Friday, after the office closes, uh, it was either one of the comic news sites announces Phil Jimenez taking over writing and drawing Wonder Woman. Huh, that's right. Yeah, that and right. I, yeah. I, uh, I called up Greg. I'm like, uh, did you read this? And he's like, no. Wow. So we had like three days, you know, like, sat, like end of Friday, all of Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. With no answer, because at this point there wasn't a lot of social media or, you know, the, the so we didn't find out till Tuesday from the offices that, oh, yeah, we're not going to be, we'll, we'll be doing it in a year. Um, but then, you know, uh, a year and a half later, then they bring in Greg, but I'm on, at this point, uh, in humans, getting ready to do, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember the timeline. Because uh, at that point, I think Greg was writing Detective Wonder Woman and Adventures of Superman. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the timeline came in. Uh, Dan had already offered me Adventures of Superman. Greg uh, got Drew Johnson for Wonder Woman. And I can't remember. Oh, it was Sean Martinborough for Detective. That's right. Yep. Oh. That's the first time I really was aware of Greg's comic work. And, uh, yeah. yeah, that was so distinctive in its uh, presentation. And again, your, your adventures of Superman with Greg, yeah. uh, oh. you know, that uh, was, that was beautiful. Go on. Because of our meeting on wonder woman and the delay on wonder woman, we went and did felon the, 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 the creator owned series that top cow published that, uh, right. For me and Greg to remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Jesus. I totally <laughs> forgot about felon and yeah. And I know it's not a pleasant memory for you guys, but yeah. Uh, it's a rough memory. Yeah, man. Well, sure. It was it was a really interesting, distinct comic, and suddenly it stopped. Yeah, and is very disjointed. I mean, it just goes from this colored comic book to black and white, and the last issue, the her- our, our main character doesn't appear, and it's just, oh my, you know. Uh, but yet we still get the, you know, it's like every show we'll still get, I'll, both me and him will still get fans, you know, bringing up the issues. That's amazing. Yeah. That's fantastic. Jesus. And asking, you know, it's like, are we going to do anything? And, you know, we've talked about it, but it's it's because of rights and whatnot. It's just difficult. Okay. You know? Yeah. I was almost wondering if, if the rights yeah. if the rights had reverted back to you guys yet or not. Uh, well, it would, it would actually just revert to Greg. Okay. Um, during the whole process of us publishing it, uh, the artist got uh, taken out of the crater equation. Oh, shit. Uh, not by Greg. That was by Top Cow. Well, sure. They got, they got the co-creator credit, even though they didn't do anything. Yeah. Other than publish it. But my deal with Greg was, you know, um, he outright came out as like, it's 50-50. Oh, that's really great. Well, that doesn't surprise me. And knowing both yeah. of you, that's excellent. Okay, very good. 
That's 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 very well. That's a that's a big relief because yeah, man, that was dis- distinct. Did did you guys finish it, or does it still no. need to be finished? Uh, the whole thing was supposed to be, I think, twenty four issues, and then they solicited the first issue. Mm-hmm. We we go in the next month and see the solicitation for the section second issue, and it says part two of three. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like I'm showing this to Greg. Greg just gets on the phone because. We hadn't pl- paced out the story for that, you know. A uh, little going back and forth, and then we go, okay, we settled on nine issues. Uh, but to keep it going, we'd have to switch to black and white. So knowing that, it's like, okay, we'll just slowly go from color to black and white, and that way, you know, her world is black and white. She's yeah, becoming the, the bleaker. Girl. Sure. Yeah. Um, then we turn in the issue. I think I turned in the second issue late. Um and then me and Greg had this really good heart-to-heart. Um, it was a brutal heart-to-heart. Um, but it was basically me and him meeting and discussing my career. And as a creator and someone doing a creator-owned book, how we have to hit our deadlines. And, I mean, it's a, it was a brutal conversation. And Greg will let you know. Um, but it's one of those conversations where the person that's t- – that is getting that this discussion, they can either completely fold and crumble, or they can it's or it's a learning experience like a crucible or whatnot. I'm with you. Uh, I know other I know other artists that have uh, faced the same kind of situation. Sure. Yeah, and that was a, a big eye opener. Um, so the next issue, uh, the last like 11 pages I did in like 68 hours because it was like the holidays and it needed to be in by X date and. Wow. Um, so I, I pulled several all-nighters and got the issue in because it's like this was how we're going to get to issue nine and sent it to FedEx. And then I get a call uh, after sleeping. Like like I said, I was up for like 68 hours straight yes. and then I slept for about 30 of it um, to my phone ringing uh, several times that I didn't hear and my editor yelling at me saying that I didn't send the FedEx box. I sent her the tracking number and it went to their uh, their uh, FedEx station in LA and just stayed there at the, the warehouse for two days. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, but I didn't get the apology call. Of course not. Of course that. Not. Right. Uh, but then they came back and said, we can only go to six now. And oh. me and Greg got together for coffee, which is something that we've been doing for 20 years now. Oh, my God, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> or almost 20 years. Because uh, Elliot's just now turning 18 or 17. So that's how long we, yeah. Um, so we got together and they're like, they're saying six now. And he's like, how you feeling? And I'm like, at this point I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. I can't feel my hand. Oh, you know, uh, I literally had to tape the pencil to my fingers. Oof. Um, and we just sat there and talked for like a half hour. And he's like, you know what? We're, we're just going to put a pin in it with four. You know, they're just jerking us around. Wow. Um, but you know, I got to so, work with Greg. So it was fun. <laughs> you got to, you got to work. What'd you say? I got, I got to work with Greg and you know, I mean, of, of all the writers I've worked with while we've done short stints together, he's the writer I've worked with the most. So I understand. No, that's yeah. cool. So when they publish it, will they publish the four issues or would there be more? Uh, they published the four issues total. Uh, they even put it out in the trade paperback and didn't bother to let us know. Although it's in, uh, Ita- uh, it's Italian. Interesting. Uh, so, and a friend of mine got me a copy of it, so I'm reading it, and it's like, I, 
I hope it translates well. <laughs> but they printed it on better paper than we got in the States. <laughs> That's very interesting. But when they republish it, would they? Would it just be the four issues again? Uh, if we republish it, I will do basically kind of like a creator cut. I've gone in on a couple of panels and tightened things up. And I've got uh, most of the original art still uh, on disc that I'm basically going in and... Uh, Fixing panels, like sure. a lot of the uh, the eleven pages from that third issue, really need some coaxing and redrawn. I mean, I'm it, you know I was working pretty fast. Okay. Uh, so I really want to go in there and 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 give it a good treatment, but not you know not change the story. Just basically like do what Truck did and do the nice enhancements. Ah, there you go. Very not nice. Change, not do a Lucas and change the story. I hear you. <laughs> That's so, true. Well, I just That's, get both get both genres in there on that one. <laughs> very good, very good. Yes, a good teaser for uh, the the yeah. conversation to come about Star Trek. Uh, but yes, I like it. The uh, well, that's that's really cool. And then your Adventures of Superman run is truly one of my favorite Superman runs, and in particular uh, the the treatment that you both did with Mister Mixius Pitalik. Yeah, he's fun. You know, I, I like our take. Uh, less villain, more, you know. Him really wanting to be Superman, you yeah. know, and also it was you know our story uh, because it was identity crisis at the time, and so uh, there was that whole talk of breaking up Superman and Lois, and that looked like that was the direction that was going, which was one of the things that we used Mixjack Spitlick for was the kind of like, you know, this is coming. He's trying to warn, but he's not allowed to. Yes, um, I remember? Yeah, but then you know it's like. Yeah, He's just a fun little character. And, uh, like, originally we were supposed to use a Mezo, uh, but we ended up using, and I can't remember the the character's name, but he, he was like a, an alien version of a Mezo that had, like, Batman and a few other superpowers. Um, but they were working on a Kid Amazo series at the time, and so we kind of had to suddenly change gears a little bit uh, because Amazo doesn't have a family, whereas this character... I wish I could remember the character's name. Uh, That's not ringing a bell. That had yeah. that had kind of the powers of the Justice League, but was an alien. Right. And uh, like Batman's cape. I'm even looking at him right now on this cover that Gene Haw did, and I just can't remember. Uh, but in Greg doing the research, you know, we he, had the story, and I was like, oh, we'll just plug and play, you know, this character for Amazo. But when Greg was doing the research, it's like, there's two kids now that are missing. You know, because he had two alien kids, and that was his whole purpose was protecting the kids. So then the story, then our story, because, you know, uh, he submitted like, hey, this is going to be our first half year. You know, by the first issue, we're, we're already off that, 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 that track because this character had two kids, and we needed to figure out what happened to them. So Weird. Uh, I wonder who that is. I can, honestly, it's not coming to my mind. Yeah, it's, it, I'm totally blanking right now. <laughs> I thought it might be the composite Superman that's half Superman, half Batman, but... No, it's not him either, no. But it's not him either, yeah. Uh, I think his son was named was Zilm, uh, X-L-I-M or something like that. Was it, I, we ended up doing it. Oh, go ahead. Was it the Batman Superman of Earth-X or whatever? The, the, there was, no. was it like an alien Batman that could fly and had Superman's powers from exactly. like the 50s? Exactly, it's that, but it's not, the, it's not the, the alien X one. Okay. But yeah, it's that character. Um yeah, like, uh, like he's got Batman's cape, but like there's even Hawkman's like wings, but they're kind of shredded. Like so, the wings kind of make the cape. Interesting. Um, 
but you know we because you know I mean he dies because of ruin in his appearance. Ruin, sure. Uh, which then leads us to Superman hunting for, you know, trying to find the kids. Okay. And we find out one of them had died, and then the other one was kidnapped by Ruin and uh, augmented. And, you know, uh, kind of, you know, enhanced, not willingly. Interesting. <laughs> so. Funny. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, that, uh, I mean, again, I thought your your style of, of art complimented and, and really... Gave us a great mix. Yes, Pitalik. And yeah, like the original version, uh, the version yeah. that was also in the animated series. But we were talking before we started recording. The, the really, yeah. the 40s, you know, Joe Schuster school uh, version of Mix Yes, Pitalik. Exactly. Because we wanted to kind of go back to basics, you know. Um, and also, you, you know, I mean, you would have gotten a kick of us, you know, because we were in the same room together and we're both talking like Gilbert Godfrey as we're writing these issues sometimes, <laughs> you know. Um, and as you know, Greg and me, you know, it's like, you know, it's us trying to do Gilbert Godfrey's voice and whatnot. <laughs> Are you listening to his podcast? Uh, n- uh, no. Oh, I no. love it. It's great. It's really, um, I mean, and it totally speaks to me because it's a ton of old Hollywood. And, okay. And he's getting a lot of these great actors and uh, directors and writers oh, really nice. bef- before they pass away. He got Adam West. He got, uh, he got Larry Storch at 90-whatever. And and told great stories, and he got they got Marty. I believe they got Marty Allen. If not, then I know they got others. I mean, Lee Grant talked about the blacklist and being on the blacklist in the fifties and sixties. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, really interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing. They're like he and his co-host. They're they they joke around, but they're also very sincere about getting interesting stories from the guests, and they let the guests talk. And it isn't just you know how Gilbert is on Stern or whatever when he's just uncontrollably laughing. You know, and it's, it's. Is it a long form interviews? Yeah, yeah, they're over okay. an hour. They're they're really oh, nice. So yeah, nice. And, and Frank Santo Padre, his co-host, is um, an ABC writer. Um, he was a segment producer for The View, and would really okay. ha- and help uh, help a lot of the newsier guests with their like panel and stuff, and get them organized with their stories and anecdotes and stuff. Now he's he's uh, I've had him on uh, on Word Balloon, and he told a lot of really interesting stories about what he does okay. and everything. Neat stuff. Yeah, the- the longest one I listen to is the the Kevin Pollack chat show. Uh, I'm a I big fan of that as well. Yeah, and that one's like you know, there's episodes in there. It's like two hours long. Oh yeah, and it's, wow, you can really get into some good conversation. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's you know, kind of what I try to do with Word Balloon, as you. Yeah. Know. So yeah, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, then Adventures of Superman. So take us further on the timeline then. Uh, then it was uh, what happened after Adventures of Superman? Oh, uh, I got fired from that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, by the, sa- the, the it's the same editor uh, that he's fired me and hired me more times than anybody. Um, but I went into Superman knowing I was only going to be doing a year. I okay. mean, Dan and them made that Dan and Eddie made that very clear. It's okay. like I was just be a year, um, and then I was going to move on. And then Eddie has to make the phone call, and he calls me up. And he's like, here we go. And it's like, I have to fire you off suit, man. I'm like, all right, Eddie, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And he's like, wow, that was pretty easy. But in the same phone call, he hires me to do Teen Titans. So, I mean, it was literally, it's like I was fired and hired. Um, so I did Teen Titans for two issues. Uh, the regular creative team, it was Jeff Johns and Mike McCone. Uh, Mike McConan just left with 23, but it wasn't the end of the, the basically the big arc that they were telling. So I got to basically do the big payoff at the end. Uh, 
which I'm eternally thankful for. When I met Mike McCone, I was like, I got to thank you because those two issues that I did really cemented me there at DC for, geez, like seven years. Uh, so after Teen Titans, uh, I did, uh, was it a, I was supposed to just do one issue of Outsiders uh, because it wrapped up the, you know, it was kind of an epilogue to the whole Teen Titans and Outsiders crossover that was going on. <laughs> yep. Uh, that one issue lasted me on that title two years. So <laughs> it was still only one issue, but it, it took two years. Yeah, it just took me forever to draw. <laughs> oh Jesus! Now, no. I gotta, I gotta ask because you mentioned his name. Can I ask you about Eddie Berganza? What was it like working with him? Uh, I'm a West Coast guy, and he was on the East Coast. So for me, he was an email and a voice. Um, but he was Maureen's. Uh, direct editor. Uh, he was one of the people that was responsible for hiring me. Um, I know uh, this part of the conversation. Um, it's really rough, uh, mainly because I didn't know a lot of what was going on and the players involved. Okay. Um, and reading that story when it was coming out, uh, that's most of my entire career at DC was those three editors that were uh, of three of the four people that were mentioned in that article. Wow. It was Eddie, Joan, and Liz, uh, Liz Marsham, and that and Gearling. Uh, and it was all happening my... long distantly, and you had yeah. And that was seven years. I mean, I went from Eddie. You know, Eddie was my editor for two years. Joan was my editor for like three and a half, and Liz was my editor for two and a half. Well, I know everyone uh, speaks very highly of Joan, and and she is someone that I met very very briefly at a New York show, and would love to talk to her about her work. Yeah, uh, and because Joe. she, yeah, I mean, she just, well, you know, it, a lot of great editors, you appreciate their taste because yeah. they bring the right creative people in for great runs. And I know Joan is a, a classic example of that. She's also, you know, she's a, a, a cartoonist in her own right. I didn't know uh, that. That's cool. Yeah. She, she knows how to draw. Uh, <laughs> there's actually a page I did in the, the first uh, issue of Outsiders, issue 28, I may have had uh, Starfire and uh, Dick Grayson slightly more naked than they appeared in the issue, uh, but Joan didn't. Uh, we didn't have time to send the artwork back, so she did some of the drapery that covers up bits and pieces. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, with Joan, that was my first real bonding with an editor because she was really my editor, you know. Uh, it was her first, you know, I mean, not first editing job, but I mean, solo book on outsiders, you know, in charge of who's going to be creating it and whatnot. And she was kind of given me and, you know, uh, had to bond that way. And, you know, there's a lot that, you know, I mean, stuff that was going on behind the scene, you know, it's like, we're working pretty closely together. You know, we're trying to, you know, put out the book, um, you know, books are always running late. Sure. Stuff happens. Uh, you know, there's times where it's like, hey, can we need to fix this, but Judd's really busy, so can you do this? I'm like, sure. Um, I can, uh, you know, then we're doing, because I was only supposed to, like I said, do one issue, and then they liked what I was doing, and Joan really liked working with me, and I liked working with Joan, so they extended it for the first year, you know, and then they like, oh, we got this event thing coming up called One Year Later, and we'll, we'll move you on after that. Because uh, originally I was going to, after that, that year, the talk was is Ivan Rise was going to take over Teen Titans regularly, mm -hmm. 
And then I would be the regular fill-in guy for him. Um, and then they would give me other work to work on when I wouldn't be doing the regular fill-in on Titan. Sure. Um, but then that got all changed. You know, it's like everything changes. Uh, so then I stuck with Outsiders after year one. It's like, hey, you got to redesign outfits. And, you know, like we're going to have, you know, new members and, you know, submit a list of characters you'd like to work with. And or like in the book, and I was like, well, I'd like, you know, I'd still like Shift and, you know, Thunder and Grace. Uh, and then I asked for uh, Creeper. Uh, I think it was the one I asked for. Cool. And, and Judd wanted uh, Captain Boomerang Jr. And then we had Captain Boomerang Jr. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. And Shift, yeah. wasn't he Metamorphose? Yeah, they did the whole... Because uh, that was part of the gag of uh, not knowing what happened in that year and then slowly revealing. Uh, but yeah, uh, after the one-year jump, it was back to being Metamorpho, and then you find out that Shift tried to kill himself, and then Metamorpho reabsorbed him. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Man, so that was, was cool. You know, I got to be honest. I was like glad that, you know, it existed, but I wasn't reading Outsiders. And yeah. I mostly most of Judd's stuff that I read was his Batman run and also his um, his Exiles run. Right. So, yeah. uh, but I but I knew people that really loved Outsiders, honestly, and really got into the soap opera and stuff. And like, Green, who did Green Arrow hook up with in the in the group? Uh, that was after me. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, cause, uh, cause I left with, I, I originally left with 49, uh, 50 was supposed to be the new creative team that was going to take over the book. They were getting basically like a, the, Hey, one issue. And then they get the whole new number one and whatnot. Okay. And okay. That was, uh, I think Tony Bedard and Coy Turnbull. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then something happened and I get this frantic phone call from Joan they're going to move that special directly into the number one slot. So uh, Tony wrote the uh, a new number 50, wrapping everything up, because then they were going to go back to being Batman and the Outsiders and Got do that it. whole storyline. Okay. Um, but I was at that point, I was so tired of Outsiders, and it would just got over, you know, uh, it was a Checkmate crossover. But there was also, you know, I mean... I was on that book longer than I expected. Mm -hmm. I had my heart attack on that book. I mean, I was oh, like, I'm done. I'm done. I need to leave. And she calls me up. She's like, can you help me out? Can you please help me out? And I'm like, okay, I don't know what the story is. I'll do the first 11 pages. That's it. I can only do 11 pages. You know, it's like, okay, thank you. Um, Interesting. Okay. Tell me about the heart attack, obviously. Uh, Can't let that go. Oh, wow. That was... Uh, when people come up with, I, that's the issue that I signed, where I actually signed the page that I was drawing when I had the heart attack. Wow. Uh, issue 39. Uh, of Outsiders. And was, uh, of Outsiders. And the only reason I know what page it still is, is it's the only time that Grace appears without her tattoos. Uh, I didn't have a chance to put them on when I had the heart attack. Wow, yeah. Holy cow. Uh, my studio mate, Ron Randall, came in and finished off the issue for me. But didn't realize, you know, and had to finish that page, but didn't add in the tattoos because I don't think at that point he wasn't too comfortable with where they were at or whatnot. Um, yeah, it was uh, a day like any other. Uh, uh, we had some friends coming in from out of town. The book's behind, but you have friends from out of town. So you get together with them, have dinner. Uh, we game. So we hang out and talk. And so I'm, you know, it's like it's getting close to that time. I uh, 
not feeling terribly well. My chest is a little tight, but you know, I pulled out a cigarette and had it light, and I'm, ah, everything's fine again. Uh, and that, that that part is true. It's like you know, it's like I'd have a cigarette and I'd be okay. Wow. Uh, drove and got some coffee, a pound of coffee. Uh, went to Greg and Jen's house, saw Nunzio and Christy. Sure. Said hi to everybody. Put the coffee on the counter. Went into the living room and laid down on the couch. Uh, Dashiell, who I think was all of like three at this time, uh, comes in there and is looking at me. She's like, "Are you okay?" You know, in that little three-year-old baby voice. Yeah. I'm like, "I'm." At this point, I'm pale white and I'm crying. Oh man! And Jen comes in there and she goes and grabs Greg and Greg comes in there and he asks me three questions. And all of a sudden, he's like, call the ambulance. Because uh, as you know, Greg used to be an EMT. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the ambulance came, uh, rushed me to the hospital. Uh, I'm in the emergency room. Uh, <laughs> which is a funny story there is literally everybody. That's, at this point, House is a very popular television show. And everyone's going, you got to watch House. It's awesome. So House is on in the emergency room, Jesus. and it's one an episode where it's a fever dream, and he's arguing with another doctor with this apparatus that is cutting a guy's chest, and it's just lobotomizing the guy. Oh, my God. And I'm in the emergency room. I was like, <laughs> I'm never going to watch this show. <laughs> yeah, you man, know? that's like watching an airplane disaster movie exactly, on an airplane. Exactly, on an airplane, you know? Oh, like, my God. Of course. Uh, they put me in this room, and Greg has his laptop. I'm asleep for most of it while they're running tests, and he's sitting there working on an issue. You know. Wow. Uh, they come in. They're running these tests, and about 12 hours later, uh, they come in, and it's the cardi- it's the guy that's going to be my cardiologist now. And he's like, you know, you had a heart attack. Uh, your artery is 95% clogged. Uh, your diabetes is completely out of control. Had you been taking care of it, uh, we would not be having, this might not be as big of a problem. And at that point he realized that he didn't know, I I didn't know I was a diabetic. So then he apologized for that. Um, and he's like, we scheduled the OR. And by that point I felt like I was Charlie Brown listening to an adult. All I was hearing was wah, 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 um, and Greg was there asking all the right questions. That's great. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I had no idea what was going on with me. And, you know, so, yeah, you know, two stents later, you know, a hefty uh, medical bill, uh, but I'm still here. Attaboy. <laughs> no, I understand, man. Well, thank you for sharing that because... <clears throat> Um, you no, know, it's that's yeah. I'm, I, I yeah. no, I'm sure a lot of people can relate, and uh, that's wow. Oh, yeah, especially well. now. I mean, God. I mean, it seems like every a few weeks we have creators that are just medical problems, and yeah, yeah. you know, uh, you know, we do our best with like Hero Initiative and stuff, but man, you know, it's tough. Well, and it's that freelance life, and you kind of you're on the run all the time, and you grab the crappy food instead of the good food sometimes, and. Okay. You you pull all nighters yep. and then you don't work for a couple of days yep. and then you pull nighters again and it's you know also like you say it's a sedentary lifestyle it's just like you're yeah. sitting down all the time right right yeesh well yeah. uh, well on to uh, brighter uh, happier yeah. things um, so so post outsiders and uh... Uh, I did uh, basically special projects for a little while uh, an issue here issue there uh, never it never really you know the it's nice doing special projects, but there actually has to be special projects to do 
and that was part of the problem is there was never you know it was always like one issue here but it was never like ah something really cool well they they gave me uh the final crisis submit um and that was its own headache who who was the star of uh, submit uh uh black lightning cool so i got black lightning artwork that's cool that's great yeah, yeah really good timing and everything that's wonderful um, yeah. When you say uh, special projects, because there's also, like, uh, the American Dental Association needs a DC tie-in comic. Was it stuff like that, or was it DC Universe stuff, and it was, no, we have a special issue, things like that? Yeah, more DC Universe stuff. Oh, that's cool. Uh, uh, I was hoping to get, you know, like, you get, like, a prestige format series or something, you know, sure. something where I can put my, basically what they put me on now, you know, with the Willingham, is what I was hoping for back then. Uh, I got, like, uh uh, I helped out on Superman, Batman. Eddie hired me for that because uh, uh, the current artist was uh, over a year late turning in his issues. So there was a six-issue art that he had done two issues of, and it had been like ten months, and they're still waiting on the third issue. And Eddie calls me up. He's like, "I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna hire you to the, do the last three issues." I'm like, "Okay." Uh, and it was just before the holidays. So I get the script and I start to work on it. Uh, the the artist starts turning in more pages. Uh, I do Plastic Man, but he's being uh, augmented by this. It's not it's not the diamond from uh, Eclipso. Eclipso, but it's along that line where it kind of corrupts. Okay. It might have been. Uh, Say it again. It might have been. So it, it like I did this really just kind of mobbed up looking. Uh, yeah, and sent that off so the artist could have it, and uh, you know he decided that he didn't want to do that. Uh, oh, that <laughs> so, sucks. Well, who was the writer of this uh, story? Uh, oh, uh, uh, Mark Verheiden. Oh, sure. The, Mark uh, Verheiden, who was a longtime Superman writer himself, and then uh, yeah. also was uh, one of the uh, writers in the ori- the the first couple of years of uh, Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica, and he. Right, I mean, uh, which is how you get the uh, the one year later jump because he proposed that also to uh, Battlestar Galactica because at that same time when Battlestar Galactica does their one year later jump where they yeah. find Cap- that, that one year later was happening at DC at the same time. That's hilarious. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I had no idea. I, you know, I saw him, I, I interviewed him twice very early on in Word Balloons history and then history, whatever. Uh, <laughs> take it easy, John. Have a seat. Uh, but also, uh, I met him face to face. The TNT show, Falling Skies. Oh right, yeah. He was he was yeah. one of the principal writers on that, and uh, they had a big press junket for its premiere. And I got to meet him, and he, he uh, didn't. You know, he, he was busy. He, you know, I mean, we, we we exchanged pleasantries, but we really never had a chance to talk because I loved uh, not only that stuff that he did, both comics and TV. But uh, the American, the Dark Horse yes, series, the Dark Horse book, yeah, yeah, kind of a yeah. kind of a Captain America spin in a very right. different way, and everything. It's yeah, I, I always recommend that. It's really one of my favorite '90s comics. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, Our, uh, Chris Warner's art in those first four issues was fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely uh, great black and white comic book, man. I, yeah. I can't I can't recommend it enough. And uh, but that's hilarious that Verheiden takes the so yeah. It was at DC first, and then he took it at Battlestar, or did he pitch it to both? I think he pitched it to both, and they kind of both said <laughs> yes at the same time, not realizing that they both said yes. That is great, <laughs> and yeah, that's a great jump in Galactica. Uh, yeah. Oh my God! I, that, I'll have to I'll have to trust you on that one because uh, that series lost me by the end of 
two point five. Uh, I found myself rooting for Cylons. That is hilarious. <laughs> I, you know, I know a lot of people really hate the finale of Galactica. I love it, and you know it's on if you have Amazon Prime. Uh, I do. It's it's now on Amazon Prime all all the seasons. Okay. And it's funny that we mentioned this because literally this weekend I just I saw that it was on Prime, and you know you fall asleep to the, you know whatever's on TV. And I kept yep. falling asleep to watch rewatching Galactica because it was. I, I don't know if that's a stirring recommendation, though. If you're falling asleep, there. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Well, you know, it's I want a show that does a lot of talking. Sure, sure. And I got to tell yeah. you, their action scenes, I, I think, were amazing, start to finish. Oh, yeah. uh, the the that first season was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, oh, it, absolutely. It that miniseries, everything. You know, you know, uh, I'll be honest. I wasn't crazy about the miniseries, but that first episode oh, cool. of the regular season. Where they had to jump every thirty three minutes. Thirty three, yeah. And that absolutely hooked me in. And I'm that like, one, that and was I brilliant. Think follow up, uh, water. Yes. Uh, I, you know, and that was something that, like sci fi, even Trek hadn't done. And like the, when they're going, it's like this is how much water we need per day. Yes. To, you know, and that was like, oh wow, they, you know. Some serious thought into that. How much food that they're going to need? Well you, you know? well, you figure that Moore, having spent so much time on Star Trek, was yeah. like, okay, why didn't this ever happen on Voyager, for example, right. where they're totally cut off from their regular chain of supplies and things? And yes, they have replicators, but it's a little too convenient. And yeah, and yeah you just kind of face those problems. And it, I know that Moore has said many times that things that he couldn't do in Star Trek, he ended up doing yeah. on Galactica. And it only made for a better, you know a great series. Yeah. So yeah. Totally. So that's interesting though. The I can appreciate. I, I think they kind of lost their way in the third season a little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, like I really loved the Pegasus showing up again, and I thought thought all that was really interesting. Sure. Um, now you know. uh, this is going to kind of dovetail the discovery uh, sure. a little bit. Sure. Uh, did you find Pegasus to be a little bit fan service for Battlestar Galactica? Not at all. Not at all. No, okay. it was it was there, and also again, it was an all. They rather than saying, "Oh, this is the Lauren Green story," we're we're doing a prequel of the Lauren Green story. No, they 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 did a different spin. They did a totally okay. different spin. And um, yeah, well, we can get into uh, our discovery talk anytime you want, but uh, I, I wanted to acknowledge more of your uh, sure. your your trail to uh, right. your, your current <laughs> stuff and everything. So so no, go ahead, continue the comic story, and then we'll get back to okay. track. Okay. Um, so after the Superman Batman, uh, I, I was supposed to do Rain in Hell with Keith Giffen because I'd been at this time I'd been basically telling DC I want to draw Doom Patrol. You know, cool. Uh, cool. That was that's that one was my X Men, my jam for DC. Uh, I've got the entire run of the original My Greatest Adventures and and whatnot and the what was that Italian's uh, name? The artist. Primini. Say it again. I'm, Say it again. Uh, Bruno Primini, and I think I'm pronouncing his last name wrong, but you know. Uh, well, I know you and Gabe Hardman in particular. Yes, are That's huge how we, fans. Uh, me and Gabe talk. You know, <laughs> that doesn't surprise uh, I, me. <laughs> I've done a uh, a issue of Doom Patrol where I drew uh, I drew it in the style of the era that was we were paying tribute to. So the original group was drawn like Bruno Primini and then the 70s group I drew like kind of Joe Staten fun you know um, and somebody had bought that page and was talking to Gabe and he saw that 
and asked about it. And then we were sitting next to each other, uh, talking and going back and forth. And, uh, we were talking, uh, talking about his run and he has a doom patrol page, which I don't, um, from Bruno. Wow. Uh, but we were, and I'd asked Gabe, it's like, Hey, did you ever pick up Bruno's book on how to draw horses? And he didn't, I don't think he even knew about it. Uh, but Bruno has this definitive book on how to draw horses. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. Is he still so, alive? No, he passed away, I think, in 84. Oh, okay, wow. Okay, even that uh, far back. In Argentina, yeah. And I know Joe Staten is still with us and shows up at cons and everything. So, so yeah. So, you, have, uh, you know, the, the homage is there. And, you know, uh, at that time I was sitting next to Gabe, everyone was asking him if he was Tim Seeley. Even though, <laughs> even though Tim was four desks down from us. And Gabe had his banner behind him that said Gabriel Hardman. People were coming up, and it was really starting to get to him after a little while. You know, it was just like, Ugh. Also, the fact that they had to walk past him <laughs> to get to Gabe. You know, it's like they're literally walking past him. That is very so. weird. That's very which, – which cow is this at? Uh, Emerald City. Hilarious. That's very, very fun. And especially, they look nothing alike. Gabe is, right. Gabe exactly. is like twice Tim's size. He's got a Tim's got a beard. Gabe doesn't have a. Well, actually, depending on the time, sometimes Gabe has a beard. But uh, very funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. uh, So Rain and Hell was going to be me working with Keith, who was going to write the Doom Patrol. What did you get a chance to write with or create with Keith or no? Uh, On Doom Patrol, yes, but on the Rain and Hell, uh, the part of one of the problems of being a, a, a survivor of a heart attack is my immune system's down. And I get sick really easy, and I'm still dealing with. I was still dealing with it at the time, and trying to, you know, get my workouts and take my medications, go see the doctors, you know, um, and that rigmarole, and then try and find time to work. And then, like when I get sick, you know, like a flu that lasts a person like a week, you know, I'm down for like three weeks to a month. A lot of times, it just takes forever to get, you know, because you're. You know, the, the diabetes is already an autoimmune system. You know, it's already trying to treat that. And you add in, you know, not getting a flu shot. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, you know, and when I say I'm sick for like three weeks, it's like I'll be sick for, you know, a week and a half. And then I'll have a persistent cough for like the next two and a half. I understand. So um, I ended up just doing covers for that series and the model sheets. Um and then God, uh, after Doom Patrol, I went to Marvel. Well, before uh, before you leave Doom Patrol, because uh, <laughs> I've talked to a few people that have collaborated with Giffen in the last uh, sure. while. Actually, Jeff Lemire is just getting started with a new series with Keith and everything. So, yeah, tell me about collaborating with Keith Giffen. Uh, well, I hearken back to my love of Justice League, and I wanted to work over Keith Giffen's layouts. Wow. You know, like... That would be, you know, because, I mean, Keith's a master draftsman and storyteller. Absolutely. So it was like the, the idea of going in there, like, okay, and I, I took the pay cut. You know, Keith gets paid for doing the layouts, and that's totally reasonable. And, you know, started working off that. But after the third issue, I asked to start doing layouts, uh, which was up. That was fine with Keith. He's like, I don't know why you're using my layouts anyways, but neither here nor there. Uh, it was a good learning experience, and I learned a lot off of it. But my storytelling is, uh, is different. Uh, I don't think as good or maybe in some places on par. Uh, but it was also in reading the story. It's like, oh, I would have done this angle rather than this. Uh, but 
you know, or uh, trimming a character out of a scene. One of the problems that we had, or I felt we had, is we had Bumblebee and we also had Elastigirl, which are the opposite ends of the spectrum size-wise a lot of times. Sure. You know, having to be in the same scene together, and it's really hard to depict to depict Rita's size when, you know, it, the comparison, you know, it's like to show Bumblebee and to show them, even though Rita's in the background, it was like the height wasn't coming across. Okay. You know? Okay. Um, also, I, you know... It, and, and it's looking back on it. I mean, I enjoyed our run. I think we should have brought the aristocrats in sooner, since those were actually the characters I designed first. Uh, they were villains that showed up at the end of our run. Okay. Uh, but it wasn't quite weird enough, I think. And I don't think my art was, you know, like the Doom Patrol is kind of polarized. Either people want the Grant Morrison run or they want the traditional superhero run. Yeah. And like with anything in comics right now, no one's going to compromise. It's just going to be, it's either this or this, you know? Um, and I wanted to try and blend both, you know? Uh, but that was, people were resistant to that. Even, you know, former creators, it's like, you know, it's like, say it, you know, it's like, I wish they would just go revert it back to normal. It's like, well, I'm trying to, it's like, you know, Cliff was a very steampunk robot by the end of the Grant Morrison run. Mm -hmm. And then, John had him with the facial expressions and, and retooled him. And it's like, I needed to bring him closer to Bruno Permini, but still acknowledge everything that has gone on before. Sure. You know, sure. Yeah. That's tough. That's a high, yeah. that's a tall order, man. And then wanting to add in a little flavor of mine, the, you know, like my cliff always looked grumpy because I gave him a grumpy facial expression that was always locked in. It was like literally that was the mold that the chief came up with was that grin. Sure. Uh, because Cliff's always just going to be a curmudgeon. Absolutely. You know? I mean, yes, indeed. He's James Gardner. You know, it's like he doesn't want to do anything. Yes. You know? <laughs> he is James Gardner. <laughs> he doesn't want to be a superhero. He just is. That's really you know? good. That's terrific. Uh, yeah, man. No, absolutely. Rob Robot Man never wanted to be Robot Man. No. You know, um... Uh, I enjoyed our negative man, but like Keith killed him off really quick and then brought a new body in. And I, I was going to kind of treat him as like Doctor Who. Interesting. So every time a body died, he would dress differently because it, there was there would be a little aspect that that negative creature would absorb from the previous host. And that would influence his look. Basically, you know, the Doctor Who thing, sure. you know, it's like they find their own unique look because it's a different actor. And so I was going to treat him that way. So the body that he was in, in my series in the original was a world war one buff, you know, a fighter pilot, you know, kind of thing. And had I known Keith was going to kill him off and I would have done a slightly different, cause I had a couple of different model sheets for various different negative men, you know, a, a bum looking one that we ended up using, you know, uh, when Cliff's trying to, you know, when we do a, the origin of Cliff and how he influenced all the different Doom Patrols, and then you see the different versions of Larry. Uh, when you know, so it's like I created one that was very bum-like, you know. Okay. Uh, or there was also going to there was another one that was more sci-fi pilot. You know, I always wanted to keep something of him being a pilot. That makes sense. That sure. Was origin of of Larry. So, I like uh, it. Man, this is great. I had no idea we were going to have this kind of deep uh, Doom Patrol <laughs> conversation. No, I love the classic Doom Patrol. Um, I have to confess, 
that I never read Grant's, you know, great run and everything. It was just during my blind spot of the 90s. And, sure. um, yeah, but I, I certainly know I know its importance and I know people's love for it and everything and how great it got. And also the other people that took Grant's idea as a foundation and, and were able to build on it and everything. So Yeah. Sometimes I think some of those got a little too out there. You know, it was weird for weird. I mean, that version of Grant back then, it was weird, but there was a logic behind it. It wasn't weird for just weird things. Mm-hmm. Agreed. You know, there was something there. Um, and sometimes it works with writers and sometimes it doesn't. Totally. You know, not, not everyone can be Grant Morrison. Well, you know, no, you're right. And also just, no, there are, there are a lot of ambitious failures yeah, out there that, yeah, that are yeah. like, you know, let's take a concept and reboot it and try something different with it. But yeah, you know. I mean, I don't think our Doom Patrol really lit the world on fire, but we tried to put it out there, you know, uh, tried to do something. Mm-hmm. So, with some people, it really gravitated. It worked. With others, it didn't. Okay. But, yeah. Understood. So then uh, what happened after Doom Patrol? Uh, then I went over to, to uh, Marvel for, oh, God. I was, well, I was supposed to be there for two years. Uh, I signed a, a two-year exclusive with them. Okay. And... Uh, they gave me Ghostwriter, uh, did uh, the female Ghostwriter for four issues in which my editor said, hey, we got a Spider-Man project we want you to do, but you have to leave Ghostwriter to do it. Wow. But I can't ask you to leave Ghostwriter because you're under exclusive. But if you want to leave Ghostwriter to do this Spider-Man project, which was, you know, it's it just code for, yes, I want to leave Ghostwriter to do a Spider-Man project. And I did that. And then the Spider-Man project never materialized. Uh. Uh, Jeez. <laughs> so they got me uh, a fill-in to the uh, like Amazing Spider-Man, and that was fine. I mean, I got to work with Tom Palmer. Uh, Great. So I got you know the famous inker, absolutely. Inker. Yeah, you know it's like, and I got me some Tom Palmer originals that I don't have to pay for. Holy Yay. cow! Yeah, man. Although they're not, you know, they're, I mean, personally, I would like a John Buscema page, you know, inked by Tom Palmer, but I got half of that. I got the ink part <laughs> over. Um, did you and then did, was, wait before before that? Um, with Tom inking you, did it become something different? I find it interesting that some signature inkers do kind of overpower, and I don't mean that in a negative way in your experience. Oh, no. But you know, they it becomes something different. Mike Norton was inked over by Bill Sienkiewicz for a while when he was doing Green Arrow. Yeah, it came out very different than Mike's classic style. Yeah. Uh, this is my style, but it, it you can it's not traditionally inked by someone that would normally ink me. It's it does it does look and feel like Tom Palmer, which is good. Sure, you know, um, you know, I got a call from him. I'd done this splash page of Spider-Man, you know, falling, trying to catch these bagels and and donuts, you know, just the classic flying kind of you know Spider-Man thing. Okay, and I had cropped off so we would lose part of the foot. And I get this call from him. He's like, you know, I really like this splash page. I want you to know I'm going to extend it so when it prints, the whole figure's in there because it's too beautiful of a figure to, oh, cool. to just have it. And it's like that was a decision, you know, that somebody that has been in this industry knows what he is, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. And that was awesome. That's fantastic. You know? Absolutely. No, that's <laughs> so, cool. Um, and like I said, I got, you know, Tom Palmer originals. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, to go in there and it's like, okay, this works for me. That's great. You know? That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Uh, so then I did uh, that, uh, a half issue of Punisher. 
uh, we're working with Greg again, you know. Uh, okay, yeah, right during Greg, Greg's run, okay. Yeah, it was uh, me and uh, Matt Southworth, so he had two of his oh, sure. uh, artists. Uh, Southworth got all the stuff with Frank, and I got all the stuff <laughs> with, uh, trying to remember her name. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, not Kale, that's from Doom Patrol. Uh, Cole. Yes. I think her last name was yep, Cole. Yep, yep. Uh, so, and I got all the Cole pages. So, uh, yeah. And then I think it was Revenge. But all th- this entire time I'm at Marvel, there's like six weeks gap in between issues because I keep calling up going, hey, where's this miniseries? Uh, you know, I'm under exclusive. You know, my bonus is contingent on pages, page count and stuff. And the next thing I know, it's like it's farther between projects. Uh, I was offered then Scarlet Spider for an issue, and then I like say, sure, I'll do it. You know, while I'm waiting for this Spider-Man project. And then a couple weeks go by, and I call up my editor Steve, and I'm like, hey, where, where's this Scarlet Spider? And he's like, oh, I was told by editorial that we have to give it to a person under exclusive. And I'm like, I am under exclusive. Yeah, really? Uh, so then I, I sent out an email to everyone on my Marvel contact list. I'm like, listen, I don't know what I did, but I am fighting weeks upon weeks just to get one issue. You know, the Spider-Man project's not materializing. I'm not getting any work. I need stuff to work on. And then I get the, well, unfortunately, with the, the term, the, the tides of what comic books, we're letting you go out of your exclusive early. And I'm literally nine months into my, my two-year exclusive. I've turned Jesus. down work. Yeah. I've barely worked five months of this nine months. And then 10 days later, they announce Avengers vs. X-Men. So it's like, oh, so you did have work. You just didn't want to give it to me. Wow. Uh, that sucks. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Uh, went and did some work at Valiant. And then DC uh, called me back up, Greg, with uh, 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 Wonder Woman Rebirth. Wow. So. Crazy. Yeah. Jesus, man. Woof. <laughs> it all comes full circle. I started with Wonder Woman, and I come back to DC with Wonder Woman. Okay. Well, and you got some stuff you're working on right now. Uh, yeah. So, I got, like I said, I got that the Bill Willingham project that I can't really talk about, other than the fact that it's written by Bill Willingham. Okay. Um, he, Bill's announced it on social media a year ago, and so that, that part's locked. Uh, in the interim, I'm doing a couple issues of Green Arrow right now. Cool. Yeah. All right. Very fun. Uh, it, it's. I have never. You know. It's like everyone in the issue, with the exception of Superman, who shows up for two pages. I have never drawn a character in this book. I have never drawn professionally Green Arrow, or the new Parasite that they have, or all the villains that are showing up. It's like, wow. This is like. I didn't think there was a chunk of the DC universe left that, like that I haven't drawn a little bit. I mean, I've drawn like the new bloods characters. I mean, from that mini series or event from a decade ago to, you know, it's like when you draw justice league or Superman, you get everybody, sure, you know? Sure. Um, so it's like, all of a sudden it's like, wow, I have never drawn green arrow, uh, to the point where I actually ordered a compound bow. So I know how to pull it back and actually how to fire it, try and fire an arrow, you know, Funny. You know, it's one of those things where it's like it's noticeable when you notice an artist that doesn't know how to fire a bow, their arms all wrong. Interesting. (laughs) Okay. Oh, you know, and I want to make sure it's like, okay, I want to make sure it looks right. You know, it's a lot like, 
you know, when you do a crime book, you know, it's no longer a forty-five. It's a specific, you know, it's a specific make and model. Understood. You know. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> oh man. Well, good man. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, you know, you're you're always uh, welcome back in the uh, DC universe and everything. So that's cool. Thanks. And I, I'm very, you know, obviously, if it's a Bill Willingham thing, I will speculate, and you don't have to respond. Things like Shadow Pack might be uh, in the making. It would seem like it's time for. A return for some of those great heroes. Uh, I think that would be an interesting fit. But I guess we'll find out whenever they make that announcement about whatever you and <laughs> Willinghammer are you, doing. You may be happy then. Uh, there you go. I don't know. Oh, interesting. But you, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll have to shoot you one of the designs I did uh, for one of the characters. Cool. Uh, the nice thing is you can kind of tweak them a little bit, some of these classic characters. And I don't want to deviate too far from them, but I want to just like, oh, I want to do let's say, a slightly higher collar than normal for this character. You know, it's like, okay, sure. really, you know, go back to the origin of that. So, I understand. Uh, All right. Yeah, forward to it. Now here we go. It's time for the All debate. Right. I think we did good. Okay. Yeah, this way, because I know I get I get some word balloon listeners that are like, seriously, man, let go about Discovery. I understand. And, and I understand, too. But I, I you know, as, as I do, being a fan of Star Trek, it's like, no, this is our thing. Just like... It, it yeah. Star Wars is for some people, and Walking Dead is for some people, and Game of Thrones. Well, like when we were messaging, you know, yeah. we were kind of like, oh, I hope you're not mad. It's like, no, listen, you know, it's like IDIC, <laughs> infinite diversity, infinite combination. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Uh, so, like, I can, you know, it's like uh, trying to look at it, you know, it's like I can see some of your point of view. I don't agree with a lot of it, but I do see your point I of view. I appreciate that, and I, and I, and I think, uh, well, again, I'll, we'll get into some of the detail of the show. Because I've been very uh, public about my dissatisfaction of, of Star Trek Discovery, mm-hmm. and now that it's done, the first season is done. Um, yeah, I got to be honest. I I, I thought uh, here's my cliff notes, and we'll get into some other specifics. Okay. I thought the writing was uh, very disappointing. I thought um, reveals were not that uh, well hidden, um, and we can get into specifics shortly. But and I just felt that a lot of the choices that uh, they gave to the characters to make just didn't seem to ring true from a logic standpoint. And I'll start with the finale and say that uh, putting the Mirror Universe version of uh, Captain Giorgio, who was the Emperor, had killed in front of uh, Michael Burnham, and uh, we all know that this is a horrible, horrible person. Uh, it's one thing to have her like help out with a possible solution to the Klingon War, because they solved the war in the Mirror Universe. And I could see her in an advisory capacity. But to have her pretend to be Captain Giorgio, sit her in the captain's chair, uh, and and frankly, as again, because it's been a couple of weeks now, I'll, I'll spoil the ending and stuff, to, to let her go is, is just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. If, this, if Michael Burnham were true to her Starfleet code, she couldn't let these things happen. That's that's my comment on on the solution of using Mir Giorgio uh, in the way that they did in the finale. I just thought was absolutely absurd. Okay, um, I see. I, I didn't get that at all. I actually thought they were going to do something completely different with her. Uh, the moment they have Laurel realign Ashes Vokes memory engrams. Uh-huh. I thought they were going to do that to the Mir Jojo. I thought they were going to... That would have been a better solution as well, possibly. And I think that's something they might actually do, which is why they might, you know... And again, this is all speculation on my part. You know, it's it's like, oh, 
that's something they can do later on with her, you know. That still doesn't um, explain letting her go. No. But, <laughs> I mean, but Michael doesn't have the power to stop her either. Uh, well, you know? again, the uh, this Admiral put – again. I just felt like, dude, Starfleet in general – didn't act like Starfleet from from no, from the moment also, the from the moment the war started. It just seemed like they they stumbled into this war, and I understand that that is how wars can happen. It felt like the writers just kind of are the like. It just felt like the overarching story was, yeah, we know. Just just bear with us. We'll we'll get to where we need to, and then and then we'll talk. And it, it was about I mean, that about a lot of plot and character choices. Yeah, but I mean that you know the the corrupt Starfleet admiral has been around in Starfleet for every uh, you know it's like that True. Uh, Star Trek six that Star Trek uh, insurrection uh, insurrection uh, you know and we we've even episodes we've had the admiral go absolutely the Pegasus you know. right um, but also you're you know it's like if we t- you know because you know a lot of hang I, uh, they do the whole thing where it's the prime timeline, but it can't be the prime timeline because they're wearing the, the Enterprise badges, and the, only the Enterprise has that because, you know, as, as we've seen in classic Trek, each individual ship has their own customized badge. Yeah, that was a dumb – I mean, I'll, I'll let that pass, but I thought that was a dumb, like, little kind of, yeah, you really don't know what you're doing here because you have those badges, but those different that, insignias. Going, yeah, that's Paramount going, that's our brand. That has to be on there, even, and that screws things up. And you well, know, which is again why I'm like willing it. to forgive, like not forgive, because who the fuck am I? Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, okay, whatever. That's a little that. That's why, like, even up, updating the tech. Although I did think that because uh, the holodeck was such a big deal in Next Generation, that oh my god, we can do this now to right. have it be part of uh, Discovery's communications. If it is in canon, you know, but somewhere between seven and ten years before Kirk's Enterprise, doesn't make a lot of sense, and it really wasn't necessary. But Enterprise, we've got view screens. What, why? Why do we? Not, why? Why do view screens suddenly suck? Right. Well, that's you know the limited of the '60s too. Because I mean, well, of well a uh, DS9 tried to do the hollow communicator, and they did it for two episodes. There's the episode Starship. It's not Starship Down. But it might be no. Uh, it's during uh, they're trying to find Eddington, and Eddington oh, yeah. had put him in the Defiant, and they you know used a hollow communicator there. The fans' response to that was across the board; they hated it. You know, so they do two episodes with the hollow communicator, and we never see it again. Well, that's you know again that's okay because that all takes place in the future. I mean, it's it, right. you know again and. It, it's beyond next generation again, where the holotech, the the hollow the hollow tech uh, is is finally starting to happen, and that's what I'm saying. It, it doesn't. I understand that. Yeah, that was a '60s limitation, but Enterprise didn't have that limitation, and they respected no. the fact that again we've got uh, uh, the the JJ, the JJ movies had uh, view screens. Yeah, it, there's no reason. I mean, again, that's a little. That's a little. But that's they, a little thing. They, but they're doing both view screens and hollow, or. or but again, you know, but it but doesn't make I mean, sense to have uh, uh, a Formula One race car show up in the middle of the Model, Model T generation. Right, but in next gen, I can watch an episode and look at Picard's laptop computer and look at my iPad, going, "Huh, 
Mine's got better processing power and doesn't take up nearly much of the space. Yeah, but that but that I understand, and that is modern technology. Again, we're we're yeah. not at modern technology right now with with no. what we saw in Discovery, and it's they they've and and there've been other shows that have committed to show whatever the past was. That's the thing, man. I, I it's the problem with this show is their defiant demand. That no, this is the prime universe. This is not the Kelvin universe. This is right. not an alternate universe. And maybe they will fix it in the second season. But they beat their chest about it as they sure. they built the hype because they wanted both the new Star Trek fans and the the fans of the classic series and didn't want to piss off either group. And in doing so, I think create a very messy ch- television show. It's a show that's dealing with time, you know. And what does that mean? Well, uh, you know, I mean, you, you look at like the Flash. It's like every third episode, it seems like they're in a new timeline. Uh, it, I don't under, uh, what, that doesn't that uh, doesn't explain the choices they made. They they sure. started fucking with time in the story after already establishing this different technology. So that I don't understand. Yeah, I, I, you well, know. So, it, but go on. Well, first of all, if we go with classic Trek, you know, there's only been five ships that have been named Enterprise, seventeen oh one. A through E, right? Okay. Um, so NX01 Enterprise hasn't existed, you know? So there's that, you know, they can say it's the prime timeline, but as soon as we show Enterprise, the NX01, we're in a different timeline. Well, I, I okay. I, you know, I'm shrugging, but I, I think people accepted, I think more people accepted that than they do what, what they're doing with Discovery, but go on. Okay. So, but if we go with like the motion picture where Decker is showing Ilea around the right. lounge area, and she shows all the photographs of all the enterprises, right. and there is no NXO one. There's no NXO one. Right. That's so but again, that's, that series screws everything yeah, up. It, or okay, I mean, I, again, I, these are these are moments rather than full fledged. No, this is the story moving forward. And again, yeah, I mean, it's. I don't know. They, uh, I think choosing Captain Archer, and when we knew that Roddenberry, when thinking of like who's what's a good name for a commander before he chose Kirk, Archer was definitely on the list. So I think that was a smart nod to kind of. What I I, I didn't know that. Oh, it's in well, and again, well, it's oh. in that making of Star Trek, uh, like behind the scenes book that really does kind of chronicle the history of Star Trek. And yeah, there's like a whole list that Roddenberry had of various names of possible captains, and Pike is on there, and Kirk is on there, but Archer's on there as well. Okay, because I, I remember like some of the actors. They were looking at like Lloyd Bridges, yeah. from like Sea Hunt. Uh, obviously, you know Jeffrey Hunter. That's awesome. Um, I love Jeffrey. Hunter. There was another one I, I was trying to remember. Um, I can't remember another captain. Oh, uh, Jack Lord, I think. There you go. That was yeah, it. Hawaii Five O. Yeah, the original Hawaii Five O guy. But you know, like like with first contacts, like again, going you know, it's first contact. You know, they send the Borg back into the time. You know, it, it influences you know the creation of the Federation, right. and then in Enterprise, they show that technology. It's like, oh, we found the Borg cube. We just don't call it the Borg cube. Yeah, but I like so that. That was good. good. That was a good solution to sure. But what that's, happened. that's going to affect the timeline. No, but that, but they, but again, the problem was there was an incursion from the future, and also. Talk to me about Discovery. Don't tell me. Don't don't list all these other like momentary one episode. Hey, they they fudge they fudge with continuity because Discovery is a fifteen hour movie that or fifteen okay. part movie that they made a See, statement and said we are telling this story this way. 
Okay. Yeah, where we are slowly showing this bridge crew come together. You know, we are seeing character like Detmer's the first one of the bridge crew besides the main cast. De- which one is Detmer? She's the pilot that they call Detmer every time they, she's on the screen. Okay, and again, describe her to she's me right. because I don't know. I don't know Detmer's name. I'm, I'm being completely honest. I do not know that. Okay. Is Detmer the she, one that has red hair and has the prosthetic on her face? Yes, she's the reminder for Berman of that deci- right. that bad decision. Right. She was in the fir- she was in on the, the right. She was on Giorgio's ship, and she's the she exactly. and yes, yeah, she her her scars are because of the Battle of the Binary Stars, yep. the start of and the And so that's War. a constant reminder for Michael. Oh, yeah. Uh, and same thing with Saru. I would, so you I, get would those? Love to get a, I would love to get a dialogue count of how many times they say, Detmer, do this. And I know, you. And God bless you, man. You found it on Facebook. You're like, hey, man, right here, oh, yeah? it's Detmer. And here's... <laughs> and the only one that I didn't do, and they only do, they've only done him a couple of times, is Bryce, and he's the communications officer. That's the, the black gentleman or the Hispanic? Yep, okay. the beard. Yep. Okay, because there's because um, there's the black gentleman, there's Detmer, there is uh, Dreadlock's younger black woman, uh, Oshikona. Okay, I'm, I'm a, I, but again, in 15 hours of this story, right. I would, cha- I would not, challenge they're, they're a room full of hold on, I would challenge a room full of Discovery people to go. That's their names, as opposed to Sulu Uhura. Uh, you know, uh, again, I mean, and don't get me wrong, we've had our DeSalles and we've had our other navigators that have sat next to Sulu that, you know, were just the, the person of the moment. And even Uhura wasn't always the communications officer. But right. but I would say this was a 15-hour story, and this is a bridge crew. I would disagree with you. I think we got to know several uh, crew members, but not bridge crew members very well, because all they pretty much did were had were reaction shots. And and maybe a little interplay with Giorgio in the finale, and maybe a little interplay with uh, Lorca while, while he was commanding in Saru. But in, in 15 hours, uh, and, and it, actually I think that's kind of a fault of the uh, JJ movies as well, because there was just a lot of bridge crew people that were there for reaction shots. We never really got to meet them and really uh, know anything about them. And and I think right. we got that more in every other iteration of Star Trek, as far as the bridge crew goes. Right. But this first season isn't about right. – it is about the bridge crew coming together, but there are a bunch of lowly ensigns coming well, together. I, so when we – when we first meet, like, say, Bryce, he's actually not the communications. He's the pilot on the shuttlecraft, and he's like O'Brien. He's unnamed. You know, so over the course of these 15 episodes, we're getting their names. But they're also – they're not the main characters. I agree with that, but uh, but as you said, they're – We're seeing the LaSalle's become the suits. Yeah, I, I – okay. I guess we'll see in the second season. But, again, I think in 15 hours and in as much interplay that happened on the bridge – I would have liked to have known these people by name, and and I'm uh, however you if you got them purely from from watching the television show, I congratulate you. I thought I was watching very carefully. Now, I, now I, granted, I, only, I'm sorry, they're only saying their names once. Well, that's what I mean, man. And again, it's fifteen hours, fifteen hours, yeah. and they say their name yeah. once. Well, that's not, but that's in an episode. Like it's not I, an I episode. It's a fifteen hour story. No, it is not an episode. Right. I'm sorry. Each episode. <laughs> Each episode, they do mention their names. Every Not every every them. episode, they mention their names. I picked a random episode uh, after we had our talk, talk. I picked a random episode. They announce Detmer's name three times. They show Reese once, name him. They show Oshikomu, and they show Bryce, but they don't name Bryce. Okay, I'll but take, they, you I'll know, take your na- I'll take your word for it, man. I, well, one of these days when we do a show together, we'll watch an episode <laughs> and we'll mark things down. It'll be totally fun. We'll turn it into a drinking game. 
I'm coughing. I don't want to. I don't want to discuss. Like we were talking. I, you know, I enjoyed the Mirror Mirror Universe storyline. Okay, but I think they did go to it too soon because we don't know the characters and how their personalities would be different. Agreed. But when you have a, a character that is from the Mirror Mirror Universe, like, you know, got to get him back in. You know, um, like. I didn't see that coming because I didn't expect them to go to the Mirror Mirror universe that soon. Like, uh, like when we talked, mm-hmm. um, you know, I did the Star Trek. I was like a ninja avoiding anything discovery. Smart. And that's really hard to do at a, at a, you know, I don't, I did not know the makeup of the actors who was what. Mm-hmm. The only thing I knew is, was Shaniqua Martin's, uh, Martin Green yes. was the lead because, for promotion for the con, it's Kirk, Picard, Cisco, and Burnham. Uh, also, but also the other, you know, Archer and uh, Janeway, <laughs> Janeway, and Burnham. Okay. Yeah, so that was the nice. only character I saw. Cool. I mean, I missing uh, like my friends are going into the room with all the costumes. Like you got to go see him. It's like I don't want to be influenced at all. Sure. So was this you the know? Vegas con? Yeah. Okay, the last Vegas con. For five days, you know, of, you know, posters everywhere, everyone walking around in costumes and a whole room dedicated to Discovery. They had a couple of the actors there, but since the show wasn't out, they weren't on any of the panels. They were actually just there as fans. You know, my friends are going up and talking to them because you've done a Star Trek con. Yes. There's a lot. They're very different from a comic con. Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, well, it's a love fest, and, and rightfully so. Yeah. No, we're, we're all there loving the same thing. And yeah, yeah, man, no, and it's it's a it's a very nice vibe. It's a it's a great yeah. vibe. So, um, yeah, for for some odd reason, it hit all my buttons. You yeah, know, it's cool. I, I, um, again, I just I the the lack of. But I, like I said in the conversation, I can see where a lot of it didn't hit, and it didn't hit a lot of people's buttons. Um, a few of my friends who aren't Star Trek fans, it's like, oh yeah, I'm really enjoying sure. it. It doesn't seem like Star Trek. It's like, well, it's because. The story, you know, when you got a captain influencing these these characters that is not Federation and having them do non-Federation things. Right, Lorca. You know. Go on. Yeah. And I got, man, I really, you know, it's like I shouldn't like Lorca, but Jason Isaacs is so good oh, yeah. as that character. Well, his resorts, before, before the turn happens, and you know he's yeah. from the Mirror Universe, he's a very capable, resourceful, unorthodox guy. And we like yeah. unorthodox captains. I mean, from from Cisco punching Q. And, and yeah, you hit me. Picard never totally hit me. Justified. Yeah, wait a minute. What the hell's going on? You're not acting like Starfleet. And, and you yeah. know, that's or my favorite, of course, is Picard and Spock. And he's, you know, your type of cowboy diplomacy is out of date. Yeah. And it's the best, like, shot at the original series. And that just mortified. Like, how dare you from Spock? Cowboy oh, diplomacy. When they did that in Voyager, they did that in Voyager when they did the the flashback crossover, the and at the end of the episode, uh, yeah, and Janeway's talking to Kim. She's like, "Oh yeah, you know, it was a different time back then. They would all been scrubbed out of the academy before the first year." It's like Jesus, cool, whoa, like, dang. <laughs> no, I get it, and but um, but no, I so I get it. I I thought no, I thought Jason Isaacs did great. I think the actors. Did and, and again, this may sound condescending, but I mean it that they did everything they could with the material they were given, and in some cases, it absolutely worked. Um, I think Stamets' uh, character was a, was a success. I, I think Adrian or Anthony Rapp was fantastic. 
I gotta say, and I mean, I'm saying this is a what. It took me. It took me a little while to get into his character. Sure. Well, and I think that was purposeful because they kind of made him yeah. a dick at first. Oh and yeah. And of course, when yeah. he's exposed to uh, the the spore drive and all the all that uh, stuff, nonsense. Frankly, nonsense because it's like, all right, whatever. And also, uh, I mean, you know, whatever. Again, I'll focus on him. I think he had a great. I think he did great. He gave a very great nuanced performance. Um, I do think it's kind of weird that as much as. The show clearly wanted to be a show about diversity and color. That to kill uh, Stamets's doctor husband uh, was, I think, unnecessary. Yeah. And also, all it did, it, it, I, it, I mean, let's talk about another character that was a complete weird, like mishmash. And again, I think the actor did the best he could with what he was given. But Tyler evoke, um, please, I'm sorry. Very, very oh. bullshit. And also, especially after he's revealed, he was. He's a bullshit character. He is having a conniption in front of. And I'm sorry, what's the doctor's name, Stamets' husband? Uh, uh, Culver. Oh, that's right. Dr. Culver. Hugh thank Culver. you. And, yeah. and they do name check Culver several times. So that's, yeah. that's hey, on he, me. He even gets an award. And rightfully so. No, he was great. He was a great actor, too. He, but yeah. Tyler is having a conniption and sweating bullets. And basically, forgive me, having a heart attack in front of him. And like, I really need to go on this mission, but I don't know if I can qualify. And, you know, uh, uh, Culver is just like, hey, man, calm down. Everything's fine. And then just also like, okay, yeah, you're sweating bullets in front of me, and you're basically having a mental meltdown in front of me. But, yeah, I'm going to green light you. No problem. Everything's fine. Just let me do one more reading. Well, he wasn't going to green light him. Well, he seemed seemed willing to help him and, and very happy instead of immediately going, why don't you take some deep breaths? Medical, will you please help me out here? We got a guy that obviously should not be uh, like going off on his mission. And it wasn't until he was taking the readings, and then, of course, Tyler snaps his neck. But right. Well, I mean, he's being a doctor. It's like, okay, calm down. Let's run some tests and figure this out. Well, again, I felt like he was humoring a little too much rather than being a little more alarmed and being like, you know, sure, listen, let me get you a drink or something beyond just... I don't know. I, I, I felt like, again, the guy was basically falling apart in front of him. And while Culver obviously was going to still go through the medical readings and stuff, he just seemed a little too matter-of-fact about it while this guy was should have been on a bio bed the minute he walked into sure. sickbay. But he's also having to deal with his husband being... Right, you know, right, in the in the stasis right next in to the, him. In the, in the weird coma, right. LSD high sure. thing that was going sure. on. <laughs> I, I, I am puzzled that that is the only doctor that we pretty much saw. Maybe we saw somebody after... Culver's death, but again, it's weird that we're not. But that's a little. Thing. Oh, uh, with the Gormagon episode with uh, uh, Mud, the, they show another that's doctor. Right. That's right. I don't. I don't think they they label oh, well, him. Let me stick with Tyler because Harry Mud's another. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, <laughs> well, anyway, Tyler again. So is revealed to be Volk has killed in front of these people. Has killed a crew member that these people were close to. And you get that ridiculous scene in the cafeteria where Tilly sits next to him. I know you, I know you almost killed my best friend, and you killed another one of my friends. But I'll have but lunch with you. That's not the dialogue, though. If you're going to do the dialogue, you got to do the right dialogue. What's the right dialogue? The dialogue is Tilly's dialogue. You know, Tilly's actual dialogue. Go for it. Tilly's actual dialogue is when he says he's okay, and she goes, "How could that possibly sure, be true?" Sure. But I don't care. You but know? again, I'm sorry. You just killed several people. You can be compassionate, but do it on the other side of a force field. I don't buy that Tyler is given, even with a little ankle bracelet, you know, alarm thing, is getting uh, free reign of cafe- the cafeteria. I'm, I don't buy And also, again, the rest of the bridge crew, 
Well, if Telly thinks he's okay, then I guess I'll sit down with him too. It's like, again, it was a very Degrassi high school isn't moment. That, isn't that them be getting their humanity no, back? No, it is, it is, again, it is, it is, dude, come on. You're, you're no, I understand. I, you're, you're, you see the glasses half full. I think it's, I think it's a group of people denying the reality that just happened. And no, Tyler hasn't earned that compassion. He has not earned that compassion, and that is going beyond human compassion. I'm sorry. It's again. I I don't believe it, and I think most okay. people wouldn't believe it. You you, you I, took I it. bought you it. Took it. it. It's cool. I did. Okay. You know, I I liked I liked it when, you know, uh, at the in the last episode when Berman is talking to the holographic admiral and Saru stands up and says, "No, we are Starfleet." And and, and that's know. and that's an I'm sorry again. I can appreciate one rogue admiral here and there. Uh, I don't believe the entire Starfleet is that blood curdingly. Well, look, we're almost done, so let's let's well, abandon our I values. I don't think so either. I think that was all her. Well, I don't think she's making well, but Sarek seemed to be on board. And that's yeah. another thing. That is the most unseric like Sarek. I, I I like the guy again. Love the actor. I see. I like their Sarek. Well, I I don't. If it's an alternate Sarek, I'm cool with it. But if it's if you're telling me that's Mark Lennard, you know, forty years in the past or whatever, however many years it ends up being, no, no, don't but it's buy also, it. It's also a Sarek that we've only seen in you know one classic Trek episode, two TNG episodes, right. and background on you know the movies. Well, yeah, but but so, no, but but significant moments in the movies, still. very significant but moments in the movies. Yeah. And and I'm sorry, yeah. this isn't the same guy. A very that, illogical the, thing to do, you know. The whole the whole shoehorning in of Burnham in Spock's family history is ham fisted, and and yeah. and the whole thing of oh, let's go back to the academy, and you can only have one of these students. First of all, the Vulcans, I believe, were more xenophobic than that, and wouldn't and wouldn't accept Burnham in the academy, even as a ward of Sarex, a human uh, to their academy. I don't think that would have happened at that period. Of Vulcan history, uh, based on what we saw in the TV shows and 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 even the movies to a degree, but I but I also think, uh, yeah, I think the only reason why that moment exists is to justify Berman's, you know, uh, position as Spock's adopted sister. And again, I just that's ridiculous. It, I think it would have been more interesting to have another Vulcan beyond Sarek believing in humanity. And, and if anything, include Sarek still as a character in this thing. But maybe that would uh, make for more interesting conversations because it almost suggests like that. Uh, that hold on, Sarek, hold on. It almost suggests that like Sarek is the only true believer in humans, kind of like saying, well, the only civil rights leader was Martin Luther King and there was nobody else in the cause. And I don't think that's I just don't think that makes sense. But you have to start with one person. Yeah, but One I think well, yeah, and that's that why he's the ambassador to Earth, and I do think that that explains his relationship. But again, you had the the he, hold on, you had the experiences of Enterprise where I think the Vulcans were learning how to deal with humans and accept them. And no, I don't expect it to happen overnight, so but it is still eighty years Paul before. Was Pardon? So Paul was learning how sure, to deal she was. with. Sure, they humans. all were. The entire Vulcan council. No, the rest of them weren't. The rest of them could have cared less about. Uh, the but end. I think Gary Graham near the end, I think was was coming around, and and I and I think well, yeah. well that's well but again again that's but that's yeah. what I'm saying. That was 80 years ago, and I and I don't believe well. There's one dissenter oh. for oh, it for was 12 years. years ago, John. It was 12 years ago. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying from Enterprise to uh, yeah to to Discovery. 
Well, I'm saying yeah. I'm saying Star Trek timeline. I'm not saying in real real uh, world time. No, no, in real time. I mean, because what uh, Enterprise debuted in 2001. Yeah, but Enterprise was set 80 years before. Right. Well, no, come on, man, or 100 years before. No, I'm, I'm talking in real time. Well, you, but uh, what's the point? Uh, that that doesn't matter. They've they've whether that's like saying, well, uh, Return of the Jedi was written two years after uh, New Hope. Uh, so yeah, it was really fast. It's like, well, wait, but there more than two years happened between the two, or whatever no, I, timeline, or the, for the prequels, saying, or something like that. No, no, I'm saying for us, it was twelve. You, yeah. you know, it was twelve. What is that Enterprise the story? You, nothing. It was just like you know, it's like when you said five years. No, I, well, I said it was a hundred years earlier. All right, so you're being cute, and I'm being serious. Is what you're telling? Me. Right. All right. Never mind. Sorry. Right. <laughs> See, sometimes I get sometimes I get on the uh, on the high horse, and it's too high, yeah. and I can't hear what's happening below me. So I apologize. <laughs> All right, I'm a dick. So anyway, See, I'm one of those guys that like uh, that likes Enterprise. Too, I like Enterprise. So. Fine. I mean, I, well, I uh, should say, I, I did you uh, did you read the uh, or did you listen to the uh, the commentary on the uh, Blu-rays? No. The, totally. uh, the, uh, Brandon Braga yes. actually brings the entire crew back, and they do like an hour and a half. Like this is the first time they've all gotten together in the room. Okay. Um, it's been you know ten years since the you know they're doing it just for the DVD, sure, sure. and they're actually explaining you know it's like you know the origin of the show and what aired is not what they actually intended. It's interesting because the what Discovery did was what Brandon Braga wanted to do. For, or a bit for uh, Enterprise, um, we they wouldn't actually go into outer space until like episode eleven. So the that entire first eleven episodes was Archer getting the crew together, like, and then as they're building the Enterprise, so it wouldn't actually go into outer space. There was no future guy, you sure. know. It was still the Klingons and stuff like that, but it was like it was a lot more paced out and i would have been for Uh, that that would have been okay because uh i think the zindi war was okay the last season i thought really was ambitious that was was very very ambitious and i loved it the mini the mini movie basically that we got over the fourth season two and three episode are especially since like an hour-long program's only like 38 minutes having to cut out so much story at this point totally you know i agree but Uh but the first couple seasons it was like yeah, they kept getting boarded left and right, and also there was just that arrogance that I, I liked in the it, it didn't show up in the pilot. There's that great scene in the pilot where it's to Paul and uh, Tucker, and they see mm-hmm. the mother with the baby, and uh, the baby yes. keeps swatting away the breathing apparatus, and the, the Tucker's like, "Hey, leave the kid alone," and to Paul's like, "No, yeah. no, no, she's teaching him how to breathe regular atmosphere. She's weaning him off the bre- the, the the breather," and she's like, "You know." Basically, she says, the universe is a lot more complicated than you think. So take a seat yeah. and pay attention, and maybe you'll learn something. As opposed to what always drove, drove me nuts from the original series to uh, the most recent ones, the chin-strokey aliens. Ah, these humans. You know, through, yes. despite their faults, <laughs> they bring such you know brilliance to uh, the equation or whatever. And it's like, fuck you. It's like, no, <laughs> I, I think it's got to be T'Pol's thing of especially in a show like Enterprise and to a degree Discovery, where it's like, hey, it's a big fucking universe. You don't know how everything works. And and, sure. and you better just, you know, hope for the best and, and do your best, but don't expect things to just go smoothly because life is complicated out here and it's only going to get worse as you get deeper out there. 
Yeah. And with Enterprise, it was too packed yes. in those first oh, seasons. Yeah. They went out there and it was just kind of by the numbers yes. again. You get a little bit of an alien, ooh, we, you know, the like when they did the kind of the, like the big-eyed gray aliens that they couldn't defeat, you know, that were uh, sucking the blood out of, you know, yes. uh, the other aliens. Well, and they, and they the, got into the Andorian Vulcan mistrust yeah. and hatred, and I thought that was really interesting. But, yeah, I think the first two seasons, like you said, it's like here we – I'm like, all right, we've done this already. We've done – we've yeah. been here before, like enough. But let's get back to Discovery. The Klingons, I think, were never more disrespected uh, in any other show. And if I were a Klingon that used to enjoy dressing up like classic uh, Klingons or Next Generation Klingons or Deep Space Nine Klingons, whatever, these Klingons were cannibalistic. And I understand that that's part of their myth. Kalis ate the heart of his enemy and all that stuff. But I And maybe I'm wrong, but I always thought, okay, fine. A lot of that was legend and boasting and uh, hundreds of years in the past, if not thousands of years in the past, and not, oh, I'm, we're eating our, our human enemy's bones while we're winning this war against the Federation. I, I just, I, I don't think, I mean, I understand that Kirk is the one who says in Star Trek 4 or 6, they're animals or whatever, and I don't, you know, don't trust yeah. them or whatever. But to the point of yes. cannibalistic, it's like, I think I think that uh, in the other shows they've shown a nobility to the Klingons, and even when they've gone back to Archer's time in Enterprise, and I just again I think there's an established history of the the way Klingons act and a reason for their bar- bar- what we see as barbarism, their warrior code, and I think all that got thrown out the window with this very ugly one dimensional, despite the twenty four different houses supposedly. I, I yeah I saw a very base and ugly Klingon race that I don't like. Oh, see, I've never been that attached to the whole myth of the, you know, the only honorable Klingon that we've actually, you know, grew up watching was Worf, who was book trained Klingon. Bartok isn't a, no- a noble Klingon? He, uh, later on, what? yes. Uh, but when we see him in, T- when we see other Klingons in TNG, there are, you know, the Durosses and the Galrons that are not quite honorable. Well, but you Kern, know, Kern really, well, and even Kern is more, a little more bloodthirsty, but I think Kern is an honorable Klingon, Rorf's brother. But again, Martok, and, and, again, and the other thing, again, it's, you're like, yeah, not, not until later, but in, in, yeah. in Enterprise, I think uh, uh, Archer's uh, advocate when he's on Ruripente. I th- oh, yeah, when they hired J.G. Hertzler, which I, you know, I wanted to go I back and that watch that episode. Uh, to see if he was the Klingon that we see in Star Trek VI, Frozen, because it looks like there was like one that escapement was wearing like his robes. Oh, funny! I wanted to go back and see if somebody in production did that on purpose. That's funny. That's interesting. You know, um, but um, no, that's and again, there's a character a hundred years earlier that is showing some nobility, and and again, we yeah. and and that's again, that's the thing, man. I just I didn't I also didn't buy that. Granted, it hadn't been since Archer's time that. Discovery era, the Discovery era Federation hadn't dealt with the Klingons in a long time. I'll buy that, but I do think that yeah. that is still valid information as you are walking into the Battle of the Binary Stars, and you know that when when Archer came back from his mission ending, I'm sure Star mm-hmm. Starfleet thoroughly debriefed him, and he you know gave them everything he knew about. Dealing literally face to face with Klingons, not also including their own experience when the Klingon from the the pilot of Enterprise uh, is uh, crashes on Earth and what they had to yeah. deal with. But he's also going to tell them that you know because of that augment virus that they're changing physically. 
remember yeah, yeah you know, the reverse. that's fine and yeah but to the point so, yeah but again we've seen in the future what klingons mm-hmm. look like i i i, I don't under, i mean i'm not a, I, I guess i'm not against in principle I, you'll have to explain to me and i understand that the first movie was different than what we got in the original series but after right. going from almost 20 years of a specific look for the klingons in the future um and including, I guess, the Enterprise thing. I'll forget. I, I, I don't mind the, those changes, and I didn't mind those changes yeah. back, you know, then and stuff. But this change, I don't understand the need for it. And also, again, okay. um, very one-dimensional in their character. Forget about their aesthetic, the, the way they look. Let's just talk about their character. It just, it didn't ring true. I don't understand how they've got an Orion sex club if they are so provincial and so xenophobic, xenophobic. that makes because no that, sense at that's all. The dichotomy is, you know, no, like that's just bullshit. That's just shitty. They, writing. they are not. That's just shitty they writing. don't believe in what they preach. It's, you know, it's it's a it's one of those, you know, televangelists that, you know, it's like if you don't send me the money, you <laughs> no, know, I understand. It's like, they don't, well, I I yeah. appreciate your explanation. I don't buy it, and also it didn't need to be on. It didn't need to be on Chronos. That club didn't. Need, that club could. That, there we go. And, and yeah. well, again, they wanted. But that's, to identify. Them. I'm sorry. Say it again. They wanted, you know, it's like there's going to be certain things, you know, fan service that's going to happen throughout any of the series. Can, they, well, first of all, yeah, the plan to blow up Kronos in itself. If you're a Star Trek fan, it's like, well, we know Kronos exists in the future, so right? This isn't going to work. And again, it's the journey, so I get that. Let's yeah. see how they get there. But more importantly, setting the club on Kronos is what I'm saying. They didn't need to set the club on Kronos. It could have just been another outpost near Kronos, um, where they can still barter for the information. But again, it's lazy, sloppy writing that they're, again, it's just but like, also, yeah, we know, just go with us. And it's like, no, right, man, it doesn't make sense. Do certain, you know, they could have went to another planet, but then, you know, there's got, there's going to be certain things that they're going to need to touch upon in this Star Trek world. Federation, Starships, certain well, They're still going to get to Kronos. They're still ultimately going to get to Kronos to try and make the mission happen. But to get the information, it doesn't need to be on Kronos, a place where, again, if we're at the height of xenophobia, well, not only are Orions welcome, but even humans that were... Because, of course, we all remember in uh, Japan and in Nazi Germany the, the clubs where Americans were welcomed with open arms and no questions asked. Well, G- Germany did have some drag shows going on at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yep. No. Oh. I again. I and and again. It's it, if you're watching it and you're like, who the fuck cares? It entertained the shit out of me for 15 hours. God bless you. But I just uh, I, I I expect I more from my Star Trek. It, you know, none of the stuff that was going on. You know, some of the you know some scenes played better than others. Um, but that's with any of the Star Treks. They're never going to be you know perfect episodes and perfect scenes. Um, they chose to make this a 15 hour show, though. This was a 10 hour Brian Fuller idea. That they chose to expand yeah. into fifteen hours in, or fifteen episodes, and in doing so, another thing, Harry Mudd. There's no reason to turn Harry Mudd into the sadistic killer. He could have been a funny con man like he always was. And granted, somebody that you, you could even make him a little darker, but to to make him a, a, a the sadistic killer that he was, I like the time loop time loop episode. This was a guy that was giving women roofies to sleep with men. Well, that, it's not like he was no, noble. Oh, guy. I agree with that too. And again, well, but that is also partially and not, not condoning the, uh, behavior at all. The 60s? Yeah. But Gene Roddenberry's sixties <laughs> was a much more misogynistic, uh, train of thought 
than today. Yeah. Because there's another thing. It's so funny. I literally just talked about this yesterday with a friend. Um, uh-huh. The I've I've read recently a few people get angry about um, the Klingon makeup from this original series, and the, and they uh-huh. described it as blackface. And I'm like, sorry, but that's I, I don't think that's a fair characterization because it was just another color in the alien palette they had blue aliens they had green aliens and and, and yeah it's it i and and for a show that was really forward thinking when it came to uh black people and their positions and where where society should be to say that it was an unfortunate choice about the makeup it's like no i'm sorry that's hindsight in a very narrow way where you are you are looking to be offended or suggesting an offense where yeah. I'm sorry, I don't I don't think any reasonable person would, would see it the same way. But yeah. again, it's middle aged oh, white guy saying this, so what the fuck do I right, exactly so and I'm a middle aged white guy, you know, agreeing with you on that one because it's it you know, it's the context, you know, it's like everyone wants all these new shows to have a little bit more of the design from the classic track, the sixties, mm-hmm. but that is sixties design sense. They were, you know, that's the best they could do at that. Time. Of course. You know? Um, so it seems like, like the new shows get penalized for not looking that way or, or like even fans is like, Oh, I can't watch that. Cause it looks too old. It's just like, I, you know, growing up on, you know, Trek and, you know, pla- you know, styrofoam rocks sure. and stuff like that. That's all just dressing. Sure. It's like I'm more into the story and the character I totally arts. Agree. And, you know. um, so I can forgive that. And, it's you know, it's like when someone says, what's your favorite Star Trek? It's like, well, there's Star Trek and that, you know, classic Trek. And that's always going to be at the top of sure. the run. But of the 24th and the newer stuff, it's DS9. I agree. You know, and, well, and, and that's a show that, I mean, God, uh, Major Barrett was, you know, screaming to anyone who would hear it, like, you know, Gene really wouldn't like this because the yeah. humans are at war and, you know, humanity figured out that war was wrong and we were all working together. And I would argue back that, well, yeah, it's not the humans that are at war. They're, they're at war with other alien races and they're doing the best they can. Right. And further, and that- don't, get to, don't get to the point where, you know, human beings can't have arguments with each other because... You know, you got to have conflict to have story. Yeah, and let's face it. I mean, when didn't Bones and Spock? Absolutely. Argue? You know, so the, the, I like that how they said that there was all these rules, and then, but the original show didn't even I adhere agree. to them. Yep. You know. Uh, well, uh, and again, cowboy diplomacy. Yeah. You know, I mean, Kirk Kirk was uh, as happy to settle things with a flying kick as he was with you've got to understand. You know, yeah, and let's face it. You know, maybe the Federation is a perfect utopia, and DS Nine mentions that and those that two parter. It's like Paradise yes. Lost, and you know, and you know, it's just like, but the rest of the universe isn't. Well, and how and how, and how easily it is to make a few small moves, and suddenly Paradise becomes martial law. Yeah, and and a very different place, and people get scared so easily and stuff. No, it's. Yeah. And we like to laugh that off, and then let, let, let's face it, what happened to us during 9-11, yep. that completely changed us. Totally. You no, know? absolutely. I, I, you know, it disappointed me that they took Deep Space Nine off the air during the initial mo- you know, days after 9-11, yeah. and I was really disappointed by that. And also, again, I remember reading another blog saying, yeah, Star Trek never really dealt with terrorism. Star Trek never really dealt. And it's like, really? Well, then clearly really? you weren't watching DS9. <laughs> And you look in their bio, it's like, yeah, they completely didn't. You know, it's like, I, I'm a Voyager fan or, or TNG, and I just didn't watch, you know, it's, it's on a station that doesn't go anywhere. It's like, listen, none of them go anywhere. You know, they really don't. You yeah. Know? It's, you well, know. again, they kind of missed the point of the show. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the 
documentary that's coming out that Iris oh, me is too. working on. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I recorded my confidential. <laughs> they did a uh, Ira was there. I've gotten to, to meet Ira a couple cool. of times and a, to actually talk to him and go up to him and and hang out with him a little wow. bit. Uh, that's been that's been the fun part about the the you know the the going to the trek shows for me you know uh, literally sitting at the bar and I'm I'm with my friends Paul and Anna and Sarah and at our table is us four and it's James Darren wow Ira who who after uh, James Darren uh, uh, Ira Bear Casey Biggs wow. Jeffrey Coombs and uh, uh, one of the directors for an episode oh P- uh, not Peter Lorston. Uh, I can't remember the other the other guy. Uh, he was it used to be an EP, and then was a. And we're all just sitting there, just chatting was away. It David Carson, you know, was, uh, not him. Uh, he's a taller gentleman, bald. Oh, I wouldn't know what they look like. Because uh, yeah. I haven't, he, I haven't been to a Star Trek convention since the eighties. Oh. So it's the truth. <laughs> oh, going back to the the Brandon Braga yeah, Enterprise. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, one of the original things that they uh, that Paramount wanted was it set in the future, like the twenty seventh sure. century, like go farther. Sure. And he was like, what does technology look like that far ahead? You know, because they, they come to the, the, you know, the problem of Picard's laptop on his right. desk in the first season. That's high right. tech. But by the end of the series, we've got iPads and cell sure. phones. No, I understand. You know, so, I understand. Like, yeah, it's the projection of what tech looks like. Is was a big hang up. Well, for them. I would set it only then, you know, eighty years in the future, and and not, you know, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. So I can, I, I that's an easy. Even like what Roddenberry did, you know, you you jump it far enough ahead, like from twenty third to twenty fourth century, you know, you can still play around in the twenty third century. You know, hey, we got Sarek. We'll bring him in for an episode because I, I love Sarek. Oh as my a god, yes, I completely agree. Uh, no, he's an incredible character, and that I like. I said yeah, I didn't I, agree with his portrayal in Discovery, but whatever. Yeah. For me, he, he worked, but uh, like when he shows up on Next Gen, because that was like the first episode that they positively yes. acknowledged yes. Star yes. Trek. You know, that was, uh, you know, as a Star Trek fan watching that pilot and you see Bones on there, but they don't identify him. Right. He's just the Admiral. He's just the Admiral. And then the next episode when it's like some captain of the former Enterprise, James, like, like Picard's reading like he has oh, no idea. Oh, that's right. The naked now, they acknowledge Kirk yeah. of the Enterprise. Yes. And that one. I mean, it's like, wow, not only are you, you know, at, at the 15-year-old man is like, wait a minute, I've seen this episode before, and you just dissed Kirk. Why am I watching this show? <laughs> I understand. The first season was so, kind of rough with uh, Next Generation, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And all of more. I mean, as much as I like the S9, that That's first season. That's a rough season, first season as well. The last, yeah. Until the last two episodes with Duet and. Uh, yeah, the beginning of the, Mar- uh, the Maquis. Uh, yeah. Storyline as well, yep. yeah, yeah. When they finally realized, yeah, we're a stationary story. We're a stationary story. We need to be delving more into the polit- politics of Bajor yep. and what's yep. on there, and not just using that as, like you say, with uh, like Berman being Spock's, you know, brother. Same thing with you know, the show needed to be different. Yeah. You know? Yeah, stepping away from their initial idea of Deep Space Nine, it's like no, that's not our show. Our show is actually yeah. this. No, I I, and, I think so too. I, I yeah, I think I think the the fan service and Discovery was very much like many reboots of of classic television that they turn into feature films, like the Get Smart movie, 
Uh, yeah. You know, he jumps into the red Corvette, and then he jumps into the blue Corvette, and he, or, or the, and I, they're not Corvettes. I forget what sport cars they are. And he winds up in the gold Corvette. It's like, oh, yeah, there's that. I remember that from the opening of the show. It has no yeah. real bearing on the story. It's just an Easter egg. It's, oh, look, there it is. And the Tribble yeah. and the Gorn skeletons, because they don't even make a story sense. Because exactly when did Lorca, Mirror Lorca, wind up in uh, the Prime Universe? And when did he have time to do these things? <laughs> well, I mean, he, well, he is armed with the knowledge of the Defiant from the future. Right. So the idea of that, that one, actually, when you posted that, and I'm like, well, so. I don't, I, but yeah, I, I mean. Trials, uh, Troubles and tri- tri- uh, Trouble sorry. with Troubles. Uh, Trouble with Tribbles is a second season episode. Tholian uh, Web. Tholian's Web is a third season episode. So the logic of a guy that has the information from that Defiant. Yeah, but when did he, now have, that when did he have time he, to go out and get a Tribble? When did he have to, time to go out and, and, and find a Gorn and get a Gorn skeleton? There, from the binary stars to when we first meet him, there's seven months there. Yeah, but I don't, uh, I don't see... Okay, I, I again, I don't, I don't buy that the Enterprise. Apparently, apparently, it's not hard to find a Tribble because Scotty had it in Star Trek and Bones had it in Into Darkness. Well, again, Into Darkness know. is the Kelvin universe, first of all. Right. Um, oh, you mean Scotty in uh, again in the JJ Scotty? Uh, well, again, that's the Kelvin universe. And exactly. and again, if you say that this is taking place in the Kelvin universe, all bets are off. All bets what? are off, but, and that's why. But you know, they, uh, but again, they were they were, we, they were weenies, Matt. They were mean. They were weenies. They didn't they they didn't want to upset classic fans. Going, oh, here's another Kelvin thing. I'm not going to watch it. I don't like the movies. Um, and and in doing hey, I'm, so, I'm all they've done crowd. is they've muddied the water. <laughs> so, see, I you know when you mention that, and it's like, well, they're to, you know from. And they don't care. Those two episodes, it made sense well, to me. And, it's like, okay, he went out and, you know, it's like, I'm at war with a Klingon. I know how to detect Klingons, you know? I, well, again, I'm, spe- I'm sticking with the, uh, I'm specifically talking about the Easter eggs, like, in his office. Why is there a Gorn skeleton? There's no reason. It's just there. There's a, why is there a, why is there a tribble well, next to food? His, There's no reason. It's just but there. That's in his, is, is that in his room or is that in his little shop of horrors? That's in his little shop of horrors. So what? But that's not his office. I mean, that's his no. I'm saying, why horse. does he own these things? How does he own these things? How did he get these things in seven months? I, I, I don't. Nope. I don't. That's, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, everybody's office has stuff that I can't explain. Well, no, that's not a good answer. Sorry. Again, if you've got a, as they say in the writer, uh, when they, when they, t- like guys like Robert McKee, if you've got a gun on the wall. That means at some point the gun is going to be used. If you got a tribble sure. there, it's there for a reason. It's not. It, there was okay. no reason. But we have to give them time to tell these Bullshit. stories. We can't just say Bullshit. no because we're not going. No. These things won't exist, Matt. I can guarantee you? you the existence of the Gorn and the tribble in Lorca's offices will never be explained. I am willing to bet you fifty dollars on that. I'll, I'll bet you a dollar. <laughs> I'll bet you a dollar. I. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. It's going to be left unexplained. I'll bet you a million quatloots. (laughs) On the newcomers, exactly. (laughs) Four million quatloots on Lorca. Oh, that's awesome. I love the three brains. That's fantastic. That's hilarious. But, I I mean, that's the thing, man. It's fan service for the sake of just, ooh, look, there's something. It has nothing to do with the story, but here it is. Not yet. Not yet. You can't say that. You don't know the future. 
it, it's like when yeah. you said you like you know Battlestar Galactica over you know Discovery. It's like well, you've got four what four seasons or five seasons of hey, Battlestar man, Galactica. I'm for to, to stick. I'm going to stick around. I'll be watching more, and I hope and I hope I'm like you know something. They had a rough first I'm season, but it's so much better now. Never mind. Um, I'm looking for uh, like uh, watching that and pilot when she's given this speech, and I'm looking in the background of like oh different uniforms out of focus. I don't know oh, if you at noticed the end of that. The, at the, at the, yeah, uh, they looked no, a little bit too, more I was too busy going, line. how did this person who, once again, <laughs> all she did was let a, a killer from an, a mere universe on the loose and gave a, gave a Klingon a bomb. Uh, it, it, dude, every solution was just, I, I felt very, very hack writing. Very hack writing. Every, and also ended with a whimper because there's a big, oh, we're going to blow something up. Well, we didn't blow anything up. And and of course they didn't because it's Kronos and unless there's new Kronos and it was something that was never talked about, whatever, whatever. I, I you know again I just I, I think it was sloppy crappy writing. I think Alex Kurtzman is part of the team that gave us the JJ movies and unfortunately uh, I I like the first movie fine. I like the third movie better than the second movie. I think the second movie was really dumb, really really the, dumb. The second movie was just terrible. Uh, the third movie for me is the closest that that universe has gotten to classic yeah. Trek. And you know what's funny? Mike, ja- Mike Johnson, who writes the comics for IDW, uh-huh. they're great. Yeah. And he came from the J.J. office and, and yeah. is clearly a fan of both the Kelvin universe but also read classic Star Trek. And I think those stories are, are superior, frankly, to the films. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh-huh. I just think they, they feel more like real Star Trek. Um, yeah, I'm. You know, I'm not a. I'm not a Zachary Quinto Spock fan. I'm really not. Uh, for me, he looks sure. like him, but he doesn't act. No, you know, it's it's. But I love Carl Urban. Oh, Carl Urban! Carl oh, everybody Urban. loves Carl Urban, and yeah, he's doing it. He's totally doing a DeForest Kelly imitation, but yeah. that's fine. We love it. It's great. Exactly. You know, his is the truest. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, and he had the hardest one because, you know, I mean, other than you know, like uh, Simon Pegg, because he didn't have. He only had access to the shows whereas like Zachary got to talk to that's Leonard that's and very true but don't Shatner. do you think here's my theory on why I don't like uh, the portrayal of Spock um, taking giving Spock emotions he disappears or at least with, yeah. with his emotions on his sleeve and McCoy wins McCoy wins all those arguments now yeah. whereas whereas the progression of Nimoy Spock was a much more gentler understanding of both sides of, of what he is and also, it, he needed to be poked in the face with V'ger and mind meld with V'ger yeah. to kind of like come to that epiphany and have that struggle of who am I? And I don't see that struggle in Spock and in young no. Spock and in, in Quinto. And he comes off arrogant and he's far too emotional. He's way too emotional. And that wig that they put him in. <laughs> I wish they would just, you know, it's like, if you're going to be Spock, you got to just do the hairstyle. You just cut it yourself and have them do it. But that wig is just That's awful. hilarious. That's very, and I, I think uh, he's okay. a really good actor. I loved him in uh, Heroes. I, I thought he was very complicated in Heroes and stuff. And I just, yeah, I don't know, man. And it's funny. He doesn't work for me, but the scenes, you know, like, uh, and like in Beyond when he opens up and it's, you know, the fact that they acknowledge, you know, Leonard oh, totally. passing. And then at the end, you know, for storyline wise, it's like, oh, he gets to see him. Like, yes, I'm supposed to be here, and you got to see the nice yes. tribute to everybody. I agree. And, no, that was good. Oh, uh, but yeah, it's he's just too. 
Leonard's more angular, and I always kind of picture Spock more chiseled out of kind of granite. He's very hard edge, whereas Zachary's soft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are no. There's you know? more. You're right about that. Uh, he is more rounder and has more softer. Uh, yeah, it's a softer awesome. face and a softer body and everything. No, you're right about that. Maybe the slight shoulder pads might work a little bit more. It's like his shoulders aren't quite wide enough. He's gonna do. It's he's also, gonna do like Christian Bale in the mechanic and like lose like fifty pounds right, or yeah. some <laughs> stuff and get really emaciated. So, had had you ever um, met Leonard Nimoy? No, uh, I uh, of the actors that I've met, um, I've met JG Hertzler. Me too. A couple of great times. guy, man. That was cool. Uh, I met him in this past summer. Go on. Yeah, and that's that part of fandom I don't do. I, I, well, you I, just you know, said about Casey little... Biggs and uh, Jeff Combs, and but, but yeah, it's it's we it's weird because it's a different setting because it wasn't in the con; it was actually just at the oh, bar. Sure. And well, we know. had that also, we we had that experience with uh, Jonathan Frakes at a Orlando convention. He was just hanging at the bar and he was just telling stories. Yeah, and uh, the best story was was when he was Captain America. For Marvel in the seventies, okay. <laughs> and he was at a, a Blood, Sweat, and Tears concert, and in their rider, they wanted Marvel heroes in their green room hanging out, and it was him, and I think just him and Spider Man, and he said it was like in the middle of July, it was at Madison Square Garden, it was so hot, and at one point he was just you know he had his Captain America mask on, and he's like, do you mind if I take it off while I'm out there? They're like, yeah, no problem, but Spider Man would not break character and would suck on beer through his mask. And drink drink bottled beer through his mask and stuff. So yeah, it was oh, hilarious. Wow. But we met him. We met George Takei, who was tremendous. And again, it was at an after hours, and he was doing heroes at the time. And we're like, George, this is great, nice going. And he was just, of course, beaming and really happy and everything. Who else? Sure. Nimoy, I got to introduce at one of these shows and introduce. Um, I they they're like, we either need you to just do the introduction for him or or to moderate his panel, depending on what he wants to do. And he obviously wanted to conduct his own panel because he'd been doing it for for fifty sure. years, so no biggie for him. And, but they're like, you know, I gave him I gave him my intro, and he woke woke up woke or walked up to me, shook my hand, he said, "Nicely done," and I'm like, "Oh, thank you, sir." <laughs> So, and it was a thrill, and he was a giant, he was in all white, he had this great white outfit, he looked really casual, but like really cool, and he talked about the, doing the J.J. movies, and doing, um, oh god, what was the uh, TV show, Fringe, and oh, that okay. was kind of how J.J., he first got him to do Fringe, and then he, I think that was what he got him to do first was Fringe, and then do the Star Trek movie, I can't remember the order now, but it's on YouTube, and it's on my Word Balloon YouTube channel, if people want to see um. it. Yeah, I uh, I met Avery Brooks. Me too. Go uh, on. And he's a, he he's an interesting fellow. Uh, it's the one time that I've I've really nerded out. Um, I took three items to get signed. Uh, it was here at uh, Rose City Comic Con, and for me to uh, come to the show because I didn't want to do a local show. I'm kind of just you know it's like I'm tired and it's a local and you know it's like but they really you know they asked me it's like. It, I would like 10 minutes to meet him, okay. you know, on Sunday. And so they made it, you know, it's like, yeah, you'll be first in line. Everything's good. I was in this panel and I took three items and got to talk to him to, for a little bit. And, you know, it was just like, it was, it was fun, but I was so tongue tied. I, I understand. <laughs> uh, I took a baseball because oh, that's fantastic. That's the, Absolutely. Get, get your baseball. That's signed. a great idea. Of course. Uh, he did a uh, spoken word album. Uh, jazz album that I got cool. signed. 
and he did a reading of uh, Roots for Audible oh, wow. that I very bought, cool, and I had him. Wow, um, man! Well, I um, met him at a Wizard Chicago show. I've said this story before in, on on the podcast, and he couldn't have been nicer. And I said, you know, I love Captain Cisco. I said, of course, though, you're the quintessential Hawk of Robert Parker, and he laughed. Oh my and I God. said, you know, because I'm a huge Spencer fan as well, and I love the books, and I, that's why I'm like, seriously, I go, you know, television aside, I said, you really tapped what Parker was writing in the books, and he's like, thank you, thank you, and I said, can I buy you a drink? He's like, oh, that's not necessary, and I said, oh, it'd really, it'd be my pleasure, he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, John, you don't have to buy me a drink, we're having a lovely conversation, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. And it yeah. was, it was like, holy shit, Captain Cisco just, like, I felt like Jake oh. Sick and Cisco. I'm like, oh my god, okay, yeah. sorry, Dad. <laughs> and you don't realize how big that oh, guy yeah, is. Man. He's like, but it was, he's a It was guy. great, though, yeah, he really just, like, the full voice, that beautiful voice and everything, and I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> no problem. When he would get, man, And I'm like, you know, I don't want to talk to you anymore, man. I go, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And he's like, thank you, John. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, awesome. So and of course now and then, again Galactica, we uh, Michael Hogan got to know Art Balthazar because like through Artist Alley autograph kind of things, oh, okay. being thrown in a limousine a couple times together and stuff, and we're all sitting one day in the uh, Wizard Chicago uh, bar after hours, and Hogan just walks up, you know Colonel Ty from uh, Battlestar Galactica for people who don't know who I'm talking about, and he sees Balthazar mm-hmm. and he goes Jesus Artie where you been. I've been looking for you at this show for two days in that great Canadian accent. And he's like, oh, hey, Hogan, come meet my friends. And all of us are just like, da, 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 da. And we're like, dude, you are awesome as Colonel Ty. We love you. Oh, thanks, boys. You know, and he couldn't have been flintier and nicer. And I missed the one year when he's like, hey, come out and drink on the balcony with my buddy Eddie, meaning Edward James Olmos, of course. And so I got to, like, hang out with him. And he's like, sir, if it's not offensive, I liked you better as Selena's father. And Edward almost started laughing. <laughs> it's you know because some actors at shows you know it's very you know separate. Oh, sure. but there's always a couple. Uh, I'm trying to remember the actress's name right now. Uh, she was on Farscape, uh, the Blue Girl. Oh, I love her. Yes, uh, Chiana. And I can't. Yeah, remember the she name. would much rather hang out with the comic book artists than. You know, I'm literally in the green room in Australia at a show there, and like Shatner's holding court, and there's the Iceman and Columbia from Rocky Horror Picture Show, and they're just soaking up the what is Shatner, and then here comes Her- uh, uh, the guy from the lead from Stargate. Oh, Ben, uh, ben Browder? Uh, no, uh, uh, also uh, the big guy. Uh, MacGy- oh, Richard Dean Anderson. Richard Dean Anderson comes in there, but he's, you know, he's coming in late, so he's doing the, oh, my back, and let, letting everybody know that he entered into the room. I'm, I'm the poor comic book artist on a separate table. I just, I just want to eat and get out of here. I just need to eat and get out of here. And then she comes in, and she's seeing everybody, and then she sits down next to me. It's like, I'd much rather hang out with the artists than the, oh, these that's guys. Oh, Gigi Edgley? Isn't that her name? G- Gigi Edgley, yeah. She's adorable. Oh, um, she's cute as hell. Yeah. Or uh, I didn't, you know, I've been doing a couple of shows and there's always, you know, the reoccurring, you know, actors and stuff that you see. And uh, forgive me, I'm blanking on his name right now. It's early for me. But Princess Bride, uh, Carrie Gillis. I'm sitting there at a Texas show and I'm drawing and you you can kind of at a peripheral know that someone's looking at you. I look up 
and he's standing right in front of me. He's like, you know, we've done a couple of shows together, you know, or been at the same shows. And I, I wanted you to know, I, I really like oh, your that's art. Really and nice. I would like my print. And it was the it was my print that doesn't sell uh, because it looks like Muka, and no one knows who Muka is that much anymore. But he really liked it, and it was just like, I'd like to get this. I'm like, well, here you go. You can just have it. And I signed oh, it to really him. Oh, that's really cool. The Dread so, Pirate Roberts. There, there, there's a few out there. You know, it's like, oh, That's cool. fantastic. <laughs> that's great, man. Too damn funny. So. All right, dude. Well, I, it's been two hours. I want to uh, spring you because you've All got right. the rest of your afternoon, and i got to take a nap and get ready for my uh, traffic uh, reporting. All right. But uh, – John, this was fun. I don't think we actually hammered oh. out our, our yeah, likes we and dislikes of discovery. Yeah, we weren't, but... to, we weren't going to come to a, yeah. a, a like come to Jesus moment. You're right. I'm wrong. Now, <laughs> suddenly the 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 veil has been lifted over my eyes. Yeah, <laughs> but honestly, <laughs> but you know what? Go ahead. When it comes back, we'll 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 do a a, a viewing together where we'll Skype and watch at the same time. So you That's can hilarious. you can do your thing, and I'll be going. Oh my God, this is awesome. This sucks. Exactly. Oh my God, this is awesome. No, man. Well, like I said, honestly, <laughs> I, I hope for the best. I did for, I mean, there were times of, of sure. Voyager that I held my nose and, and still watched it. But, still, you know, ultimately, I think Voyager had more better, good episodes than bad. And uh, and no, yeah. I, 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 I hope for the best for Discovery. I think it, I think there there's a lot of good things to build on, and I'm sure they will. And I, and I, I hope they learn from the honest critiques that some of us have given and, and take it sure. to heart and, and, and improve the show. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you the same on Voyager. For me, that one was very much an EKG monitor. Sure. Great episode next week could have been, you know, it was like all up and it was up yeah, and they down. Sort of, they you know? kind of didn't give a shit about being lost after a while. Oh, after the first season, it's like, you know, screw it. Everyone's going to use the holodeck. No replicator rations. We'll blow up, uh, you know, the shuttlecrafts as we need. You know, it, the the deck sizes change. That I mean, let's face it; they lose a crew member almost every episode. By the time we get to season four, it should only be the bridge crew. Hilarious! Left. I well, I'll you tell know. you, my my uh, last season. What I would have liked to have seen was them get to Earth mid season, and then kind of do what DS Nine did, but in a different way, and have like the back ten or whatever episodes. Like have them okay, welcome back to Earth. That's great. And then the Federation goes okay. And starts pointing to the Maquis. You're under arrest. You're under arrest for your treasonous acts with the Maquis. Uh, take the Borg away yeah. and let's examine it and get, dissect it and uh, get a better understanding of the Borg from a technical standpoint. Captain, you've got a lot of explaining to do for a bunch of these missions. Uh, we've been we've been reviewing oh. your uh, logs, and uh, you've got an explanation. And that way, the last ten episodes, they could probably do the same stories that they did, but have them under the umbrella concept of like a military tribunal. And explaining yeah. her actions in the Delta Quadrant, and that might have been more interesting. Uh, there to, was to, rumors. Know. Go ahead. Yeah, there was rumors of them coming back to Earth after DS Nine left the air, which is why Ron Moore was kind of setting up the more bits with the Klingons. Uh, as I understand, you know, it's like they were like, "Oh, we'll do this, and then we can show like the you know Federation building itself back up, turning you know the Klingons into the adversaries again." They hinted at at the last episode of DS9 when, you know, like, uh, Cisco and Ross refused to take the drink with Martok. Um, oh, I thought he did. I thought they but, did all drink. Uh, that's interesting. No, uh, remember, uh, Cisco and Ross poured theirs out. Oh, I forgot that they poured theirs out. That's fine. Yeah. Well, I, could, have uh, you read that 50 year mission? 
I have it, but I have. I, I, you know, a friend of mine likes to use the books as canon, and I can't oh, use. Oh books no, no, as I, canon. And I completely <laughs> agree. No, no, no. This is, and this isn't fiction. This is okay. this is an oral history from all the behind the scenes people and actors. Talk. Oh yeah, I've I've ordered the They're books. Great. They're fantastic. They're uh, really, really interesting. So. I'm just a really slow reader, so I kind of want to get them on Audible and listen. Because uh, when you work at home late at night, it's nice to have someone tell oh, you sure. a story. No, and I don't blame yeah. you. I totally don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. So, no, but I completely agree. And when people tell me, because it was my complaint about um, uh, Last Jedi, when they're like, well, mm-hmm. you know, Laura Dern and uh, Princess Leia's uh, relationship is explained in this book. And I'm like, fuck you. Uh, no, I, I yeah. just spent $10 on a movie ticket. I should know what the hell's yeah. going on with that. Don't That's... give me a book, because people are saying that, too, about the Discovery prequel story. And I and, and that's great. Yeah. I, I love the Star Trek books. I love reading them. They're fun. They're great. And they have great ideas in them, too. And they totally deviate from canon, especially the early ones, where Spock yeah. and Marriott Hardly had a kid. You know, right. shit like that. <laughs> I'm cool with that. That's fine because that's sure. that's just you know book fiction, and it doesn't uh, apply to the TV shows or the films. But if you tell me no, you have to read this in order to understand yeah. the TV show, then I'm like, well, that's a writing failure of the television show. Yeah, and that's something that the the Kelvin movies have done. Sure, you know, it's like they they are sacrificing story for cool visuals and going, oh, just read the comic book or read this book, and you'll get the whole history. It's like, no, you yeah. need to. You need to tell us in story. It's like, you know, it's like Star Wars. The only reason why we know, like, most of the characters in Star Wars is because of the toys. Because they never, other than the main characters, you barely ever get a name for a character. 100%, man. You know? No, you're right. No, you're uh, you're 100% right. And and again, yeah, that's the thing. And that Star Trek used to always, that was the thing. It's like, that's why Star Trek movies were complicated, because they need to be action movies as well. And it's like, well, right. yeah, but don't forget what Star Trek is, and that is high-minded storytelling. And again, yeah. that's why I felt Discovery kind of failed, because it was, to me, kind of, you know, simplistic plot and character choices for the sake of getting to the next scene, rather than exploring a much higher idea. And I okay. think that was missing from Discovery as well. But there you go. All right, man. Well, there you uh, go. We, we, hey, what? before yes? we go, Orville... Say it again? Orville. Orville. Oh, yes. Orville. Oh, sh- shame on me. I know. We should say it. Thumb up thumb, up. thumb down. I loved it. Thumb up. Okay. Yeah, it was too. fun. No, it's fun. <laughs> and yeah, of course it's a, a, a fan tribute to classic Star Trek storytelling. And oh. it's silly. Oh, my God. It, it, it's shot like TNG. Absolutely. I mean, it's and it even hired Marvin Rush. It's like, wow. Which which one is Marvin <laughs> Rush? Is he a set designer? Or? Uh, no, he was there. Uh, oh, there you go. For, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's the reason why it's looking like that. It's like hundred yeah. percent, man. And again, that's okay. It's a parody. It's 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 the blazing saddles of Star Trek. You know, it's the spaceballs of Star Trek, I suppose. And and that's fine. <laughs> that's great. And also, I like the fact that while there's comedy, they do try to tell. There's some good absolutely. story in there. Yeah, there's some good yep. story. And in I there. mean, for I thought for eleven episodes, no, I thought Orville succeeded in a, in a lot of ways uh, in which Discovery didn't. And and again, I'm yeah. really glad it got renewed, and yeah. I'm very excited for a season two. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, loved Orville. Thanks for reminding me. I absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that like my friends are like, oh, it's just you know, it's like silly, and it's like it's and it's next gen esque, and I'm like, well, it is and isn't, but you know, it's like, 
how do you describe it? It's like, well, it, really, it's my Star Trek role playing sure. game. It is. You know, it's literally that. I mean, it's we've all had that gamer that decides, yeah, I really want a cat on the bridge. That makes no sense whatsoever to have a cat on the bridge, but it's a total gamer move. That's hilarious. You know, <laughs> I agree. Have you watched those Star Trek Continues fan uh, productions? Uh, a few of them, but not. Uh, well, I can hear the disappointment. Started, That's all right. Well, no, it's not a disappointment in the fan film. It's a it's a disappointment in what ended up happening during Agreed. the fan film. With the you know changing the rules and then Paramount really yeah. stepping up and slapping these things down. No, I feel the same way. I I thought. Uh, but I'm also upset with the people that di- were, you know, that were countersued CBS going, you don't own Klingons and you don't own Star Trek. And, well, I, but there was also because they, they announced it uh, at Vegas, the Star Trek Academy, where you can go there and you have the sets and the costumes and you can basically make your own fan film with Paramount's licensing. Right. I don't, and that's yeah. good. And I know and I, and I understand what why Paramount slapped back. But um yeah. I do think that they they obviously were afraid of the fact that these guys were making a quality fan film. Sure. And I, it, it's one of those things where it's like, is it a fan film anymore when you're hiring professional actors and you've got a warehouse and, you know, and ultimately what got him was he started paying people and he wasn't supposed to because oh, yeah. of the, the legality, you know, it's like... Um, well, I still wanted so. to see, and I'm looking forward to seeing them uh, come out with their sequels to Prelude to Axanar, playing by Paramount's <laughs> rules, because I think yeah. Prelude to Axanar was terrific. And I like Star Trek Continues. That was a different group of people. Um, yeah. And I think they, they, by the way, obviously held, as you might know, held to the classic designs, and even yep. down to the way they shoot the, the episodes and the lighting. They try really mm-hmm. hard to make it look like 1967... Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Uh, he did a panel with him and the Akutas, and he was like, oh, yeah, we replaced this one gel because it was actually the wrong color. Hilarious. Yeah, I mean, they're that anal I about believe it. it. I, mean, I believe it. Well, yeah. he hired professional uh, actors and stuff, and I'm glad, they, I'm glad he was able to reach an agreement with Paramount to let him finish because he made like 11 yeah. or 12 of them ultimately. And uh, it, I, honestly, it, it, to me, it's community theater Star Trek. That's what yeah. it looks like, or like a college, like a decent high school or college production of a play. That's what it felt like to me, in the best possible ways. And I think the the actors did very good uh, effort. You know, gave good efforts, and it was fun. I think it's a fun. I think it's a fun series. Yeah, um, a friend of mine was really upset because he really likes the continuing and, and stuff that, that Paramount did this. And he's like, you know, Star Wars never did this. And it's like, well, no, that's not true. We just forget that 10 years ago, Star Wars was also came down pretty hard on the Star Wars fan films. Oh, I hadn't realized you know? that. I knew that they had set up rules. Yeah. But I didn't know that they were yeah. in response to, you know, fan films that they felt were getting too good. So. Yeah. You know, it's, when it, it's it, it's you know it's it's the blurring of the IP sure. that's become very prominent Absolutely. now. It's just like uh, I'm you know as we know comic book conventions are you know with print farmers and Absolutely. whatnot. You know, yes, indeed. We're getting a blurry line where you know DC sent us out you know like the guidelines. You know it's like here's you know what you know if you want to do prints this is how you can legally do it to us. You know. 
Um, but now with Hollywood involved, you know, you know, and that deal with Sony and Wizard, you know, someone walking around, you know, an agent for an actor walking around sees, you know, the Captain America, Chris Evans being sold bootleg. And so it's like, hey, why am I not getting a cut? Well, of that? and that's good because I think those. Uh, the farmers yeah, need the to be print taken. Far- I agree with you, man. No, it's. It, and it disappoints me when I do see them with big lines and stuff like that because, yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, it's. It's a whole other conversation. It is a whole other conversation. <laughs> but no, I appreciate you acknowledging it and bringing it up. And I didn't even think of that wrinkle regarding Sony and Wizard and what they're proposing with uh, with oh them hanging God. at conventions like that. That's very interesting. Yeah. That I, I mean, I don't do Wizard shows, but I kind of want to see their paperwork on that because. If they have a representative that's saying, "Oh, if we get something at this show, Wizard's going to get you know a cut of this," does that mean now Wizard goes, "Oh, to set it up"? I mean, there's that you know, I'm a creator. You know, let's say I'm trying to sell my comic book. They see it and they, you know, the legality of all of a sudden now, do I have to, you know, if I sign this contract, does Wizard now get a part if I sell it? Sure. So there's a weird... I don't... I'll tell you, man, and you're right. It is another conversation for another time. I don't like a lot of the choices that a lot of the bigger conventions are making. I don't like the autograph uh, price gouging that I think is going on. And I think uh, Wizards... The previous management of Wizard is responsible for the inflated costs of just getting trying to get an autograph or trying to get an autograph picture or whatever... Um, I don't like it, and I don't. And I agree with you about the Sony Wizard stuff as well. It's yeah. it's it, it's just wrong. It's not why I got. Well, comments. I understand, and also it's taking the fun part of the conventions away, and it's just getting very cynical. And 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 I yeah, I just don't like it. So, well, a conversation for right. another day, Matthew. I but exactly. I appreciate it, and looking right. forward to the project with Bill, <laughs> and also uh, your Green Arrow stuff that's coming up, and anything else that uh, Matthew Clark is drawing. He'll have our attention. So thanks for talking today. Thank you, John. It was a good time. See, the guy's a sport, man. He listened to my Star Trek nonsense, and he uh, held my hand, metaphorically. Matthew Clark, everybody. Great talking to him. He'll be back in the future. I, I look forward to whatever these announcements are coming up for him for DC. Secret projects. Can't even learn off the record. How about that, man? Now, great conversation with Matthew, and I hope you enjoyed today's Word Balloon. Brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon and help out the cause, go to wordballoon.com and uh, click on the Patreon ad or go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at instocktrades.com. And uh, there's some great Matthew Clark books. I mentioned them before. Let's run down them again. Doom Patrol Brotherhood Trade Paperback. Great book with Keith Giffen and Ron Randall among the artists with Matthew. 42% off. It's $10.43. You can get uh, Harbinger Volume 1, Josh Dysart doing the writing, and uh, that is Omega Rising, 55% off, $4.49, or Volume 2, which is uh, Renegades, and again, Josh Dysart and Matt Clark on that, $6.74, 55% off. You can get the Outsider's Checkmate crossover called Checkout, had to be careful with the alliteration there, Judd Winnick, Greg Rucka, Joe Bennett, Matthew Clark, Eddie Barrows. Great crossover. Of course, we just discussed it on the show. 50% off, $7.49. Or the great Secret Six Doom Patrol crossover, The Darkest House. And uh, that you can get at 42% off with Gail Simone, Keith Giffen, 
Jim Califori and Matthew Clark and Ron Randall. It's uh, $9.85. Great value for some great Matthew Clark books at InStockTrades.com. Check it out for yourself. You'll find a ton of great books at amazing prices. InStockTrades.com. Thanks for listening to Word Balloon. Uh, More coming up in the days ahead. It's a full march. And, man, I really want to get some other people on that, you know, we're going to see at C2E2, get a little preview of maybe what they're doing over there. So uh, lots of great conversation to come in the days ahead. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.